Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. You know, there's a lot of things to look forward to and and it's just not a it's a fun loving game against the minnesota wild this is an important game for both teams to stay ahead of each other and you know i think we're first in the center right now we want to stay that way that was keith kachuk earlier today talking with character and smallman talking about the importance of this game tomorrow night in minnesota alex i get the pageantry of this all It's going to be awesome. Now, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be negative 10 degrees. And even Keith Kachuk will let you hear here in just a little bit. He thinks it's going to be miserable. He wouldn't want to play in this game. However, setting all of that aside, it's not just about this being the Winter Classic. I view this as a really significant measuring stick game for the St. Louis Blues. And the reason why I say that is because you've mentioned before, you think Minnesota is a legit cup contender this year. They are a team that is going to be reckoned with in the Western Conference postseason. I think we all view the Blues that way as well. We have rarely seen St. Louis with its full allotment of forwards this year. It's only happened once. It happened against the Detroit Red Wings, who are not a legitimate contender this year. So I want to see what this team looks like with everybody available to them against a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, I understand the elements play into this game, but There have been very few games this year against their central foes where you say, okay, now I've got a good idea of what they're going to look like matching up against the best of the best in this division. It happened opening night against Colorado. You were able to see it not against a divisional foe, but on the road early on against Vegas. I want to see what this looks like at Minnesota tomorrow night. I think this is a significant game more, more so than just because it is the Winter Classic. If you look at the three teams in the central division that have... Well, there's five teams that have a positive goal differential, but there are three that are in the 20s. It's Colorado with 24, Minnesota with 20, and St. Louis with 23. Blues are one point ahead of Minnesota. Minnesota's got two games in hand. Minnesota has been one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League all season long. But last year, the Blues had Minnesota's number. The Blues are 6-1-1 against the Wild in eight games last year. Like, I thought Minnesota was going to be a tough opponent for the Blues. Blues wiped the floor with them. The Blues and Minnesota Wild, in my opinion, are two of the most similar teams in the National Hockey League. Like, if you were to compare two teams with each other, the closest comps would be Minnesota and St. Louis. They both have guys who can score goals that are highlight reel players. Kirill Kaprizov for the Minnesota Wild. 
Tarasenko, Kairou for the St. Louis Blues. They both have big, heavy guys who like to play in front of the net. They both have goaltenders who are playing above their expectations. They both have defenses that are smaller that like to get up in the rush. This is going to be very similar matchups with these two teams. I would anticipate them being very low-scoring games because of the circumstances that they are in. But in my opinion, if the Blues can come out with this game on Saturday... I think this takes a turn for the St. Louis Blues. T-Bone, you asked us a question a couple of days ago. When do the Blues take a step away from being the dark horse and turn into an actual contender? I think a win tomorrow puts them in that direction on the national spotlight because not only are you beating a Minnesota Wild team that has been so tough to play against this season, but you're beating them with your full roster on the ice and you're beating them on the national stage. You're beating them on New Year's Day in the Winter Classic on home ice. I'd have to look and see how many home teams have won the Winter Classic, but I would opt It's been rare. I would opt, yeah, I would opt to say that it does not happen very often. So I would say that this one is is big. It's not make or break for the Blues. Like if they lose this one, it doesn't turn into oh, well, this is why the team's not winning a cup. But if they win this one and they win it in the way that the Blues seem to always win hockey games, I think you're going to start hearing national analysts start to talk about the Blues a little bit more. Yeah, it's not make or break, and I'm with you there, but it is going to be the only measuring stick game for the Blues to see how you stack up against the Wild, because I think we can agree Colorado's probably going to finish in the top three in the Central Division. I think the Blues are there, and then in the Wild are there too. I think it's those three teams, and I understand Nashville's in the top three right now. I, I think they're going to fall off at some point kind of they're just the team I just don't view the same this is the only time the Blues play the Minnesota Wild before the trade deadline this year this is the one and only time and they're having that healthy roster as you mentioned coming back so this is that measuring stick game this is going to be okay where do we have to improve to beat the Minnesota Wild you'll get a very good sense of that and I understand it's going to be very cold so there will be some factors that have to be weighed into this but this is going to be that one game that you're going to have to look at and say okay Here's what we know we have that we are successful that's going to work against the Wild. Here's what we don't have, and here's where we're going to have to try and find a way to whether it be improve internally or look externally by the time we get to the trade deadline in March. And to expand on that, it's the beginning of a stretch where that's going to be the case. The Blues' next 12 games, they've got nine of them that are against at least legitimate playoff contenders, if not legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. In the next 12 games, you've got nine against Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Washington, Dallas, Toronto, Nashville, two against Calgary, and you finish off this stretch against Winnipeg. That is a really difficult stretch of this schedule for the St. Louis Blues, and you're doing it now when you're finally, really for the first time all year, knock on wood that it stays this way and that COVID doesn't get in the way, you're finally healthy, and you've got guys back for the most part from the COVID list. Alex, this is the the start of a stretch that's going to tell us a lot about who the Blues are as a hockey team. I think it's a stretch that'll tell us a lot about what the Blues think of Craig Berube as well with this specific team. If they do well in this 12-game stretch, if they're able to pick up points in, let's say it's eight of them, I think you're going to see, or I, I, I would at least hope that you would see Craig Berube extended in that February pause. The Blues right now only have a couple of games to have to make up in that February pause. They're going to have a lot of time to be able to do some housekeeping and looking internally with self-scouting. Once they get to February, they're going to know everything they need to about what Craig Berube is as a coach for this specific roster. So far this year, he's done an outstanding job of getting the most out of a lot of guys that probably aren't NHL players right now. They're spending the majority of the season in the AHL. He's done great with that. 
What's it look like with this roster? We're about to find out, and I think it's going to go well, but now we're going to get that assurance on if we are right of the Blues actually being a legit Stanley Cup contender because this is going to be a tough stretch. Yeah, the one thing the Blues have not had this season is what a healthy roster looks against a healthy roster. I mean, think about this. You mentioned the Colorado Avalanche at the beginning of the season, and that was a measuring stick, and the Blues moved past past it. But they didn't have a couple of impact players in that one. Second time the Blues played Colorado. Didn't have a couple of impact players. And I don't, I don't take that away from the Blues. I still think it's significant for them to be able to win games against teams. But when they beat Vegas, Vegas didn't have the, the impact players. If I'd have to go back and look, but this is the first time that the Blues have had a healthy roster and the opposition has had a healthy roster, with the exception of a couple of players on both sides, this is going to be that measuring stick. And what I'm going to be fascinated by in this matchup is how the Blues handle defensively. Because this is a team that plays your system. This is a team that likes to go to the front of the net, that will pull you out of post whistles and try and get underneath your skin. They'll try and get underneath the goaltender's skin. They're going to hit you. They're going to check you. They're going to play physical. Can the Blues match that? And can they beat them at the Blues game? That's what I'm really curious by. Minnesota has scored three less goals than the Colorado Avalanche this season. They're the fifth most scoring team in the National Hockey League. How do the Blues do that? And by the way, Minnesota's a team that is never out of the hockey game. They've been down by multiple goals in the third period multiple times this season and have come back to either force overtime or pick up two points. So there's a couple of elements that are going into this one, which in my opinion are going to change my opinion on if this team is on the borderline being a cup contender or if this team's ready to be a cup contender. So this is interesting. We've got a couple of texts from the 636. Guys are going to be playing in negative 17 degree weather. This game will be no indication of how the two will play against one another in the playoffs or later this season. It is a throwaway game. Pay more attention to what they do after the Winter Classic. This game means nothing. That comes from the 636. Well, that's just not true. I do think that there is some validity to the argument that this is different than what it's going to look like when the Blues are back on the ice in a normal setting against the other contenders that are coming up on the schedule. I, I think that's fair. I also think that we should be evaluating this team based on their peers, and the Blues and the Wild are peers right now. They are both at or near the top of the Central Division, and the other thing, they both have to deal with the elements. It's not as if one team is dealing with them and the other team gets to play in the 70-degree climate-controlled setting. They're both out there. They both got to figure out a way to overcome what is going to be legitimate adversity of playing in negative 10-degree temperatures. So... If you don't want to take too much from this game, I, I get that. That I think that's the case for any one game in an 82-game schedule for the NHL. But I do think you can have legitimate takeaways between the Blues and the Wild tomorrow night, There's despite the fact that it's outside in negative 10-degree temperature. There's absolutely takeaways in this one. The only takeaway you can throw away in this one for it to be a throwaway game is that you're not going to see the skills at their peak. You're not going to see Jordan Cairo be able to dangle through three defensemen for this. Maybe you still can, but it's going to be difficult in this weather with this ice for how cold it's going to be. And I'm not judging anybody that decides not to block a shot. No, God, no. <laughs> this is different yeah. from that perspective. But here's why it's not a throwaway game. Because these teams know that that skill is not going to be applicable on this ice like it is in a normal game. So they're going to have to play the way that you have to play in a Stanley Cup playoff game. 
this is going to feel more like a playoff game, in my opinion, than a regular season game in a stadium between these two teams. I agree with that. Because you have to play more physical, you have to defend more, and you have to be willing to sacrifice more than what you can in a normal setting. So I don't think this is a throwaway game at all. The other thing about this is, like, it's the Winter Bleepin' Classic, man. It's going to have more energy than your typical game. You're going to have 40,000 fans in the stands up there in Minnesota tomorrow night. So uh, you you always tell me, Alex, you've told me this for a year and a half now. The Blues are a team that play off of that energy that comes from the crowd. If that is true, they should be fired up to be in this kind of an environment despite what the temperature is going to be tomorrow night. So I expect them to be. they got five guys who have played in the Winter Classic as well. It's 10-15, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, about the Blues, where they're at right now, how he would compare them with this Minnesota Wild team in the Central Division. Mike McKenna joins us to do all of that at 10-30. But next... Is there any way this Winter Classic lives up to what it was when it was here in St. Louis? We'll give you our thoughts on that, and we want to hear some of your favorite memories from the Blues Winter Classic. Hit us up on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app or send them in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We're doing that next on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall Blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Count that, that big pan. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex and I are broadcasting live from the new ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Tanner back at the studios in Kareev Core. Alex, I wanted to continue talking about the Winter Classic because you look back on uh, the one that we had here in St. Louis at Bush Stadium, and it was outstanding. I know this week, Carriker and Smallman have had the pleasure to talk with five of the guys that were uh, involved with the alumni game when it was here in St. Louis, and all of them had such fond memories of a being able to play at Bush, which is just a cool thing in and of itself. Uh, and B just being a part of those festivities. The entire week was cool leading up yeah. to the winter classic. And then the game itself uh, was one of the best that we've seen in the winter classic. When Tarasenko took over, I wanted to hear from some of our listeners. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line. You can also get involved in the show via the Rhino shield mic drop feature on the one one ESPN app with some of their memories from that week and specifically of that day. But I know you were involved with the Blues broadcast at that point in time. What what are your memories from watching and being a part of that Winter Classic? By the way, I don't know if you remember this. It was the first time I ever met you, actually. Was at the Winter Classic really? back when it was here. Yeah, I'm, I was with Travis Green. We were both covering the game for 101. It was the first time that I ever met a young Alex Ferrario. How huh. about that? Like, was, I, was I that young? Well, I guess I was that young, 27 He clearly doesn't remember. I don't remember that <laughs> no. at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> One of us took more out of that to be occasion honest, than the other, To apparently. be honest, <laughs> that, that when you said a couple of days ago that you were at that game, I just assumed you meant like as a fan. I didn't know you meant no. like in the press box. So it was huh. great. It was great because um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and peel back the curtain completely. At the time, no, we were This makes me look horrible. Because no, 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 no. You're this. fine. At the time, 101 wasn't doing a ton with the Blues. Like that was 
just the case. Yeah, they were on KMOX at the time. Absolutely. And so me and Travis were covering the, the game for the station. I think Randy was there as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they didn't have enough seats in the press box. And so the ones that I they, do remember that the ones that they let out were me and Travis. We didn't have a, an assigned seat at the game. And so a couple of guys <laughs> that were going down to field level were like, hey, you guys could go ahead and use our spots. So uh, we did not even have designated spots. I That's do, how low of a level I was at. I at do remember <laughs> walking up into that press box and being like, yeah, this is a nightmare. And I just went down to the Dude, broadcast booth insane. with Curbs and Joey or Curbs. Yeah, it was Curbs and Joey. No. It wasn't Curbs and Joey. It was Curbs and Chaser. Yeah. My gosh. That's how long ago this was. Anyways, yeah, back so, to so what you were saying, your me. favorite memories from that. Well, uh, from obviously that my favorite memory was meeting BK for the first time at that one. But my <laughs> second go. favorite memory, look, I was thinking about this last night when I've been doing my prep work for pregame tomorrow. And I don't know if 2017 will ever be replicated. Like, I don't know if they will ever be able to accomplish what they did here in St. Louis with that Winter Classic. And you can have multiple games back here, but to think about what they did at the time where you matched up the Blues and Blackhawks and it was the 50th anniversary season, think about the players that you had on that team at the time. I mean, you were still growing with the roster, Tarasenko and Schwartz and Petrangelo and Pareko and Jake Allen, but the the people that were around that team, Bobby Plager, who unfortunately passed away this past year, I mean, he was there for that. Think of the players that participated in that alumni Gretzky. game. You're never going to get to see Gretzky, Hall, Oates, McKennis, Pronger all on the ice at the same time. I have a picture on my phone of all of those guys starting in the game together. And other, I mean, Bernie Federko participating in that alumni game. Yeah, Darren Pang on the opposite side playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, you won't be able to replicate that. But I don't think you'll be able to replicate the excitement. Martin leading. Brodeur was a part of that. Yes, Mar- <laughs> Martin Brodeur. Did Cujo play in that one, too? Uh, I don't believe so. No, I thought he I'm did. Mistaken. I thought it was Cujo. I thought it was Brodeur. Um, and there were a couple of other goaltenders. The text line will tell us if that's yeah. true or not. But you won't be able to you won't be able to replicate the anticipation around it like i remember talking to so many people who hadn't been in the stadium yet that said i just want to see what it looks like on bush stadium field and you just you can't do that like you can't unsee something and that's why as great as this one's going to be and to see an ice rink on the minnesota twins field for the first time man that the first time walking into that stadium for me seeing it in bush stadium I mean, I'll I'll never be able to top that. Like, that was the second coolest moment in my career, right behind being in Boston for Game 7. But then thinking about being in the locker room and talking with some of those guys, I remember having a conversation with Carter Hutton, who was the backup goaltender at the time. And I interviewed him for a pregame show, and he told me, he said, I've been in the NHL for eight years now, I think it was at the time. And he said, other than me winning a Stanley Cup, nothing will ever be able to top this. That's just playing in a winter classic game. And then you go into the actual game where Tarasenko scores two goals in the third period to beat the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, everything about that was so cool. And I know we talked about a list on ESPN a couple of days ago that had them as like the third worst winter classic. Whatever it may be, some of those games were just untouchable. But for this one, 
I don't know if NHL will ever be able to replicate what the Blues did in the Winter Classic here in 2017. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Even though witnessing the actual Winter Classic was amazing, attending the alumni game was just so cool and underrated. I've heard it was actually the most attended all, uh, all-time all alumni game in Winter Classic it was. history. I, I do think that's part of it. And also, if I'm not mistaken, they're not having one as a part of this Winter Classic, correct? Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the temperature and guys just said, like, blank this. I'm not playing in the cold. But they always do Winter Classics. Or they always do alumni games, but maybe they didn't have enough guys to suit up for one team. I'm not sure. Whatever the reason, I do think that's part of it. I mean, you look at All-Star games. I think you can make a case that the All-Star week itself sometimes is more entertaining if you're at the uh, the city in which it's being played than the game. And I think that in some ways was also the case, although the game was great here in St. Louis. I think the pre-festivities of oh, yeah. like the lead-up going into the Winter Classic, the build-up of it all was every bit as exciting as the game itself. And there, there's, I think that's part of it was having it here – and it being a part of our community, and you know how St. Louis, when, when we've got a big event, we go all out for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a part of what made it such a special event was the, the alumni all coming back. And I, I think that was my first real experience here in St. Louis of seeing what this alumni base is. I mean, you mentioned it. The names that you had as a part of that game. You'll never I mean, have that were, again. There were a half dozen Hall of Famers. That yeah, were a part of I, it. I read I read a post that I put out there a couple of days ago. I, I think they had I think they had eleven Hall of Famers My with God. the possibility of two more because Kachuk and Turjan are two guys that will be in the Hall of Fame at some point. You're never gonna have that. I mean, Bernie Federko is never going to suit up again for an alumni game. I doubt Al McKennis is ever going to suit up again for an alumni game, nor is Brett Hall in a game. Maybe they do it in, like, alumni charity events or something like that, but not on that big of a stage. And think about the other guys that you were able to bring in, like Pierre Turgeon played. I haven't even seen Pierre Turgeon at, in St. Louis prior to that Winter Classic since he played for the St. Louis Blues. I Peter mean, Stastny was a part of that Peter one. Peter <laughs> Stastny scored a goal in that one. Like, Doug Waite, Keith Kachuk, you had um, – um, name is completely passing me right now. You had um, Brian Suter on the bench with Bobby Plager, and you had Red Berenson on the bench. I mean, that was a day. I remember talking to so many people. That was a day that people said was more exciting than the Winter Classic itself. Yeah. And remember, Nelly performed before the Winter Classic, and that was probably one of the most attended events over at Ballpark Village. And then the next day after the Winter Classic, they had a skills competition just with the Blues players. That's when we found out Colton Pareko can shoot yeah. over 100 miles an hour. It, it, it was awesome, man. And I, we got a text as well from the, um, from the 314. Darren Pang suiting up for the alumni game on the Blackhawks side also was legendary. Yeah, and he Holy stopped Wayne Gretzky on a, jump, on a breakaway. And, and that's part of this too, right? It wasn't just that, okay, you've got all these Blues alumni going out there. And it, obviously that's the big, biggest part of the storyline. But it was also like... You knew the guy that was in net for the Blackhawks side of things. Yep. Like he, He's now one of ours, and we were lending him for uh, that game over to the Blackhawks side of things. So it, uh, I understand he played for him, but I, he's adopted. He's, he's a blue now. Oh, no, he's a blue. Um, so that, that was also part of what made it such a special day, and that's just not something that could be replicated this year. So I, I do think, can this live up to what it was here in St. Louis? 
I think it's going to be really hard. First of all, they just got a really bad hand when it comes to the weather. Like, there, there's nothing Minnesota could do about. The only this. way it's, it's just, better is if it snows during it, because at least it's going to look. Apparently, it better. might. So it, that will that will make it look cooler. I I don't think though, because of the lack of pre-game festivities, the lack of the alumni game. That's where I think it just it it's really going to be hard for it to live up to what it was here yeah. in St. Louis. Uh, it'll be impossible, in my opinion. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're going to talk college football playoff. What is the storyline that you're most looking forward to in this college football playoff? We'll get into that coming up at 1045. But next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, joins us to talk about what he thinks we can learn about the Blues in this Winter Classic game and what the next 12 games mean for this team as they're going up against some big-time contenders in them. We'll talk to Mike McKenna about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. More Blues talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now we are going out to the Brandon Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by former NHL goalie, now an analyst over at the Daily Faceoff. He is Mike McKenna joining us once again. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing on this New Year's Eve? Well, I've already played hockey once this morning. I was up at Kirkwood at 7 a.m. playing with my dad's group like I do every Friday and you said former NHL goalie. Well, I'll tell you what I currently am is a incredibly mediocre beer league forward. So, uh, But I love to be on the slab. And I got a couple games this weekend to coach with my daughter's U team at Kirkwood. So looking forward to it. I just I can't wait to go to sleep before the ball drops, guys. I don't know how about you feel about it, but years I could care less. Let's play some Mike, hockey. Mike, with a nine-month-old at home, I've already made BK and Tanner aware. I'm going to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock tonight. Alex, it's so funny you said that. Alex literally, <laughs> in the break going into this segment, told the, asked us what our plans are for tonight. We were both like, yeah, we're doing X, Y, and Z. And Alex was like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be in bed by 8.30. The life of a new dad, Mike. <laughs> Life of an old day. I got five and eight year olds, but I just man, I tell you what, like I, I went out and saw some friends last night and I was like, This is kinda like my own New Year's right now. It's the calm before like there was hardly anybody out last night. It was great. I went down to Dogtown and saw uh, my buddy that lives there. We just kind of did whatever we wanted to outside on the patios. It was warm enough and that was enough for me. I got it out of the system and now I can just go to bed. It's gonna be great. Nine, ten o'clock in the wrapper. And you know what's even better, Mike? You go to bed, you wake up, and you get set to watch a winter classic game between the Blues and Wild. But you get to do that in your 72-degree home watching the game in front of your television rather than the people who are freezing their butts off at minus 14 degrees. Well, I tell you what, I'd still like to be in that building. Because you're a hockey guy. I haven't seen a winter classic in person. I didn't get to play outdoors. Man, it could be minus 400, and I just still want to show up there. It just freeze-dry me and put me in the stands. But uh, it's going to be a challenge for the players. I mean, you're you're looking anywhere from negative 3 to negative 20 I'm seeing, and that's no joke. And if you had any wind, uh, boy, that'd be terrible. And you guys know I'm always thinking about this from the boys' perspective. It's going to be so hard for Jordan Bennington and presumably Cam Talbot to get their hands warm, and that puck is going to hurt so bad. But I think the it's one of those situations where you just have to let your adrenaline power you through it because man, it's it's going to be such a chore trying to even get warm and then stay warm on top of it. 
So, Mike, that's interesting you mentioned that because in our first segment today, we were talking about how much we can learn out of this game because, I mean, this is not just the Winter Classic. It's a game between the top two teams right now in the Central Division. So it's meaningful big picture as well. And I'm trying to balance how much we can actually say definitively coming off of this game, like when we get on the show on Monday, okay, this is what we can take away with also – yeah, but it, it's a very different circumstance with them trying to play through negative 10 degree temperatures. How much do you think we can actually realistically take away from this game between the top two teams in the central? Quite a bit, you know, and I think it's not that dissimilar to uh, when the blues played Edmonton the other night, you know, like this was, a t- this was a game coming right out of a holiday break. And man, I'll tell you what, like you always fear those games. Like again, goalie perspective, it's a stat exploder. Like nobody is as mentally in tune in those games usually. And what I was impressed with with the Blues is that their details were there against Minnesota. They were able to, to tighten up gaps against their top players and McDavid and Dreisaitl. They protected Mill Ice pretty well, at least through two periods. You know, that's a game that I would have thrown out the window that I actually was very impressed with St. Louis. And that's where I think you can also look to a winter classic where. Yeah, there's the pop, there's the glamour, and of course there's the weather associated with it, but you still have to have details. And I think that this is really where you can see the metal of teams. When there's, I won't say this is adversity, like the weather's the weather, but it's unique. Who can focus? You know, who can really play their best game? And man, you got two teams that are vying for the top spot in the division right now. Like, I, I love both of these clubs. I think they both play pretty fast and play pretty heavy, and you know, they're both like St. Louis is starting to be healthy again. And that helps, but Minnesota's healthy. You get what you get with them. So I think you can actually take a lot out of it, but you do have to have that grain of salt that anything can happen in a situation like this. I mean, somebody's, you know, somebody's stick might break. It might literally explode because it's so cold, you know, on a breakaway. You just never know. And that's the, that's the worry about these type of crazy games and super cold weather. Mike, does anything change from skating perspective with this cold of weather, like ice conditions? I heard it gets a lot chippier when it's this cold. It can, um, but something that the NHL has done a really good job of is, is frankly trying to make sure that the ice is as good as it can possibly be. Now, I mean, I, I go back to Lake Tahoe last year when uh, the Colorado Avalanche was playing the Vegas Golden Knights, and they had all kinds of problems with glare and the ice melting where there were logos, and it's a tough job. But they're actually heating the ice. How strange does that sound, guys? The NHL has pipes underneath the ice to keep it at the optimum temperature. Somewhere between 22 degrees and 30 degrees uh, is what they're shooting for. But I tell you what, that top layer, when it is that cold, it can get chippy. It can be tough. I'm not seeing any snow in the forecast. We all know that that's a variable if you start to get a lot on top of the ice. Uh, but I, I'd expect it to be pretty straightforward. You know, I don't think that the sun or the glare is going to make as big a difference in the past. I think it's just purely trying to keep the ice actually warm enough. Again, like it sounds weird, but you've got to keep the ice in that perfect window. Former NHL goalie, now analyst for the Daily Faceoff, Mike McKenna is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Mike, I, I did want to look back a little bit as well as looking forward uh, to what we saw against Edmonton because we saw the return of Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo in the lineup, both of whom ended with a plus three in that game. Uh, you had the goal from Robert Thomas. He had a goal and a couple of assists from Jordan Cairo. I wanted to get your perspective on those two in particular because we were talking about this the other day. It feels like that's your future top-line pairing for this team. What do you think is the ceiling for those two guys? What are we watching with them becoming right now? 
Yeah, it's pretty high. I mean, I'm watching that game and I'm thinking Jordan Cairo's right at the edge of being a star in this league. And I think he is already, but not enough people know about it. And he's going to have to consistently perform over the course of the season. But you look at the pace of play for Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, two young players that have plenty of time ahead of them in the league, and how they can execute at pace. You know, like their head is up, their feet are going, but they're not afraid to make plays either. They are the perfect example of what a modern NHL player looks like. Fast, skilled, uh, hard on pucks, you know, and a nose for the net. You take them, you slap them with Tarasenko. They haven't played together, hardly. You know, Barbashev and and Bushnevich are out. Okay, who are we putting with Tarasenko? Oh, here we go. Put these two guys. That line was incredible. Like, (laughs) I, I just, I watched them go, and I'm thinking, man, like, this line is way better than what we're seeing from Edmonton. He's got two of the top players in the league. And I'm sure that, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, Dave Perron, they probably have something to say about who's your top dogs <laughs> in perpetuity for the Blues, right? But I tell you what, man, that line really impressed me. Um, I, I said this at the beginning of the season. I think Jordan Kyrie is just – the guy's just incredible, man. Like, I, skating with him, I couldn't stop him. Uh, and I think his, his ability to, to do things in stride and change up on the fly and then Thomas's vision, like – it's impressive. It's a really high ceiling. Uh, and I think this is one of those examples where you're not really waiting on them to get there to their seat. Like they are arriving right now in real time. You know, what we're seeing now really should be the groundwork in the future for what Kyrie and Thomas can bring five, 10 years down the road for the blues. Mike, final one from me, one guy that might take a little more time to get there, but I think we're starting to see it happen in front of our eyes is Nico Mikola, and mm-hmm. I thought one of his best games this season was the other night against the Edmonton Oilers where he played physical on Connor McDavid. He took that extra step to push him off of the puck. He looks like he's stronger in front of the net. From a goaltender's perspective, is Mikola kind of the ideal guy to play with Colton Pareko? Yeah, I you know there's a couple different trains of thoughts with this. Like you obviously have two really big individuals that have a lot of wingspan, and you know, for Mikola, like he, he skates so well, but you knew that there was this confidence factor that it just doesn't come until you've played in the league for a while. And like shutting down gaps with Connor McDavid, boys, that's not the easiest thing on the planet, as we know. Okay, that's not easy to do, and he handled it really well. Uh, and, and I feel like that line, that that pairing is really in the past. I don't know, maybe seven, eight, ten games found their stride and Pareko's kind of found it as well. You know, he, he kind of been lost earlier in the year. And I think that Nikola really is a foundational player for them in a lot of ways. And that you're never going to expect him to be top end point producer, but man, as a goalie, you love having that wingspan. You love somebody who can close gaps in a hurry, not just, and we're not just talking in the defensive zone. Like the defense have to be really active and the neutral to be able to isolate things and be able to not let people get by you. And that's where I've seen growth. And that's pretty normal for a defenseman as they, they grow into their role in the National Hockey League. But um, I do like him alongside Pareko, especially because it gives Pareko room to skate again. You know, he can go up and down the ice. And as Mikko's defensive game grows, you know, you just have that more confidence for Pareko to lug the puck and do what he's best at. 
He is Mike McKenna. You'll find his work over at the Daily Faceoff. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56. Mike, have yourself a happy new year tonight. Enjoy it as tomorrow you're watching the reruns of the ball dropping. And uh, <laughs> we will hope that you enjoy the, the Winter Classic, your, your game tomorrow for your daughter. Enjoy it, man. We'll talk with you again next week. That sounds great. Everybody have a, uh, have a safe new year. Please be responsible, everyone. Enjoy, have fun, and Let's not let 2021 hit us on the door on the way out, eh? 2022, here we come. Let's have a good one. Amen to that, Mike. Absolutely. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Man, what he said about Mikula there at the end, he said he's he's a potential foundational piece for what the Blues are doing. This is what we've been talking about, and it's why I wanted to see Mikula get that opportunity early with Colton Pareko. I want to find out if he's that. Like, I I agree with Mike. I think he can potentially be a foundational piece and that he can be a top four defenseman for the Blues and bring that physical presence that you mentioned on the blue line. I just need to find out. And early on this year, it felt like he was kind of in the doghouse where he he was their seventh D-man and then uh, he, he wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time when he was out there. I'm glad that they decided to go back to that pairing with him and Colton Pareko to see, okay, can this guy be a fixture here? We, they needed to find out early on, is it Scandella? The answer was no. And now we're finding out with Mikola, it's at least looking possible that he can be that guy back there with Colton Pareko. Yeah, and I think what happened in the early portion of the season is they knew what they had in Mikola. They knew it was a project, but they knew that this guy was going to be something. I think they were waiting to find out what Jake Wallman was. I think they needed to see what Jake Wallman was, and I think they've learned what Jake Wallman is. I think Jake Wallman is the perfect seventh defenseman. Now they have Nico Mikola playing, and look, I mean, if you go just his last six games – 21 27, 23 08, 19 14, 22 43, 16 51, 20 40. One of those games, he's a minus. I mean, like I said, he's still got a ways to go before he can be a number one or a shutdown pairing defenseman. But with the aggressiveness that he provides, the offense that he provides, and the reach he provides, it's going to be hard for him to digress rather than. No, regress. regress rather than move forward. I think he's going to be moving forward. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Huge thanks to Mike McKenna for joining the show. If you missed any of it, check it out on the podcast later on this afternoon, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. In 15 minutes, I've got a new name that I would like to get the interest in or check the interest uh, from Alex and Tanner if they would uh, like the Cardinals to at least you know, kick the tires on these potential trade targets. We'll do that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, what needs to happen for Cincinnati to not just be the first group of five team to get to the college football playoff, but then maybe become the first group of five team to play in the national title game? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're back to more exclusive Blues Talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. They have to get pressure on Bryce Young. I mean, we, we watch Auburn do it. Uh, we watch Texas A&M do it. Uh, we watch LSU do it. Uh, where they pressured Bryce Young and did not allow him to get comfortable in the pocket. They made their offense, uh, you know, have to find other ways to beat their defense. I think Cincinnati has to do the same thing. This is a big one, and it stuck up on me, Alex, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. Nothing sneaks up on you. That was Joey Galloway talking about how 
Alabama could end up losing this one to Cincinnati, how Cincinnati is able to potentially put some pressure on Bryce Young. And they have a great defense. Cincinnati has an outstanding defense, one of the best in the country. Alex, I, it feels weird that the games are today. Like, we are three and a half hours away from the college football playoff starting between Cincinnati and Alabama. I legit told you. I looked up. I'm like, is the playoff game today? Yeah, and it is. It's 2.30 for Bama-Cincinnati and then 6.30 for Georgia versus Michigan. Both of those games will be today on New Year's Eve. And, man, I first of all, it snuck up on me. And second of all, I just don't know how Cincinnati wins this one. I, I saw this from Heather Dinich earlier today of ESPN.com. Uh, somebody for one of their researchers over at ESPN uh, looked up what it takes to beat Alabama in the college football playoff. When they make it, what is required for their opposition to be able to win – And yeah, it's great to say that all you got to do is get pressure on Bryce Young. It's so much more than that. Because in the past, what it's taken is a historic all-time great performance offensively from somebody, an individual performance, to take down Alabama. In 2014, it was Ezekiel Elliott running for 230 yards and two touchdowns against Alabama. In 2016, it was Deshaun Watson putting up 465 total yards of offense and four touchdowns. In 2018... Trevor Lawrence was damn near perfect. If you're talking about the QBR stat that ESPN has come up with, it's a scale of 1 to 100, right? We said the other day, I don't remember who it was, but one of the NFL quarterbacks this weekend had a 2. Trevor, Wasn't it, uh, it was Ian, book? Ian Book? Ian Book, that's Ian what it was. Book. Yes, correct. The legend. Trevor Lawrence had a 98 quarterback rating, and that's what it took in 2018 to beat Alabama. So somebody on the Cincinnati side, I don't know who it's going to be. Somebody on Cincinnati has to put together a all-time great playoff performance for them to be able to win this game against Alabama. My assumption would be it's got to be their quarterback. He's getting hype as a potential top 50 pick in next year's draft. Uh, if Ritter is going to be able to put together a performance like what we've seen from Lawrence and Watson, they'll have a chance. If not, I don't know, man. I don't see how it happens for Cincy. Yeah, and the bad part for Cincy is they're in the way of Alabama going for another championship. And anytime you're in the way of Nick Saban in a championship, I mean, you just the odds are ever not in your favor with this one. So, look, I, I think Cincy has had an incredible season. I did not expect Cincy to be this good. I think maybe you guys did, but I mean, I just I didn't know if they were going to be in a playoff game. I thought they could compete, but for the longest time, we said that they're just going to get the cold shoulder when it comes to some of these other teams. Maybe that, maybe that adrenaline carries over into the start of this game. Maybe the first half is close, but unfortunately, it's it's always Alabama or bust here. And I think when it comes to something like this, when they know what's on when they know what's on the line, when they know what's at stake their big players step up to the plate, and I just don't know if I can say that for Cincinnati. Yeah, I just hope Cincinnati gets off to that fast start because then you can put the pressure on the team that is supposed to be the team that is not only the title favorites in Alabama, but also the team that it was supposed to wipe the floor with Cincinnati because, oh, they're the group of five they got in because it's just that odd year. I think if Cincinnati can get off to that fast start, Ritter plays well. I think it puts more pressure on Alabama defensively and offensively. And then Bryce Young, not only will they have to get pressure on Bryce Young, but then it puts more pressure on him. And I think if they get off to the fast start and they can try and force Alabama to start feeling that pressure as the game moves on, I think that's the best route for Cincinnati to win. I I think Ritter could put up an all-time performance. I, I, I think he's that good of a quarterback to do so. We'll see if he's able to do it, though, against an Alabama defense. And, and the other thing for me is Bryce Young is probably going to have to struggle, whether that is 
Cincinnati's causing the issue or he's just off today, that's going to have to be something that Cincinnati's going to have to hope for to beat Alabama. Yeah, it's all easier said than done. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's the issue. Is like, yes, of course, they, they would love to get out to a hot start. Unfortunately, that's just... It's so difficult to do against Alabama at any point in time, especially when they're they've had multiple weeks of preparation. This is when Nick Saban is at his absolute best. He's been sitting in the office for the last two, three weeks, devising a plan on how to stop this specific offense for Cincinnati. So it's going to be really tough to be able to do so. Um, I I am curious. Do you guys think there's buzz around this year's college football playoff? Because when it was Deshaun Watson going up against Alabama, I felt like there was buzz about those games against Tua, Jalen Hurts, whoever it was that was starting uh, in those multiple different uh, scenarios. There was buzz there. When Oklahoma's had some big-time teams going into the playoff, there's been some buzz about those teams. I, I don't necessarily feel that way this year. I don't know who the star is that's getting people to tune in this time around as opposed to years past. Years past, you've had legitimate top five at worst quarterbacks that are playing in these games. I think Bryce Young can be that. I'm not sure he's garnered the same amount of attention, though, as guys like Tua did or Trevor Lawrence. Um, I I don't know that he's in that same category for me. Even honestly, like forget the quarterback side of things. Ezekiel Elliott, I think, was a bigger star in college football when he was in the national title game than what we've seen uh, from Bryce Young. Do do you guys feel that way, or am I off on this? No, I mean, I I just told you, I forgot that the playoff games were actually today, and and I feel like that's because part of it is the scheduling, maybe. When you're scheduling them on New Year's Eve, that's a tough thing to try and compete with with everything that's going on. But also, the guys you all just named, those are all offensive players. I mean, who's the the number one expected pick this year in the draft is Michigan's defenseman, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, when you have defensive players who are the stars in the game, I just don't know if that has the same hype as a Trevor Lawrence, a Deshaun Watson, Ezekiel Elliott, even last year with Devontae Smith. I mean, when you when you have the offensive guys who are putting on shows, that's, I feel like, what builds the hype. But when you got the defensive guys that are the ones that are the stars, I think that's the hype. I mean, the, the, the projected first offensive talent going in the draft is is it's the quarterback from Pitt isn't it yeah I mean it depends where you look there's a there's a few different guys I think that is a a statement on where we are though it's just like there's there's no obvious candidate it's uh when when you had Trevor Lawrence for a number of years three years where he was like the guy in college football Watson he was the guy exactly and and now you just you don't have that same type of a presence somebody from the 314 says what about Hassan Haskins yeah he's He's a great player, and he had an outstanding season this year for Michigan. I'm not taking anything away from him. I, I think Hassan Haskins would tell you, in terms of star-level talent and how he is seen nationally, it, it's not on the same level, the level with the guys that we've been talking about and, and Watson or Lawrence or Ezekiel Elliott, some of these guys that put together these all-time great performances against Alabama. doesn't mean he can't do it. doesn't mean that Michigan won't win the national title. I just don't know that it has the same buzz that I've seen in years past. Do you, do you feel that way, Tanner? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you guys. It just doesn't have the same buzz because the offensive guys aren't there. And, and then the other thing for me is it was just such a weird college football season. I mean – for the longest time, the only team we really felt was a favorite or was a dominant team was Georgia, and then they lose in the SEC championship game. I mean, everybody in the playoff has one loss except Cincinnati, and part of the reason for Cincinnati not having a loss is because their schedule is so weak. So I, I think that plays into it, too, and and I think Cincinnati's just not getting enough hype as they deserve. I mean, this is such a 
I'm so much invested into a non-five team being in the college football playoff. I can't tell you how hard I'm going to be rooting for Cincinnati today. I came on the airways when the first college football playoff rankings came out and was thrown a fit that Cincinnati was sixth. So I think just Cincinnati as a whole is being kind of overlooked by everybody. I, I think it's such a cool story, but people just seem to overlook it as ah, they'll get they'll be wiped off the place. They'll be wiped in this game by Alabama. Six five seven eight zero is here. Cover service X line. Final point on this. I think it's a good one from the five seven three. If Michigan beat Georgia by ten or more, or if Cincinnati does find a way, as you mentioned, Tanner, to beat Alabama, then you will have some buzz for the actual national championship. Or if you get Georgia Bama, that will get buzz as well. I think there's some truth to that. I, I think it is really the the semifinal games lack buzz. I think there will be that buzz for the national championship. There always is, but certainly this year there would be. I think a lot of it is all of us just looking at Cincinnati and saying we don't believe like if you are somebody that believes in Cincinnati I understand why you'd be hyped for this game coming up at 2 30 I'm a believer for for guys like me and me and Alex who just don't know how it happens for them I've just seen that, it so many times that goes into the I've seen it so many times where I come into a game thinking this is the year that somebody upsets Nick Saban in Alabama and then they just blow them out of the water it reminds me a little bit remember when Michigan State played Alabama it was actually I think that might have been the last time that the games were on New Year's Eve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think that was back in 2015. First year of the playoff, right? Second year. But uh, Alabama versus Michigan State was the last time that I felt this way about Alabama going into a semifinal. There was no buzz about that game. Yep. And then Bama just wiped the wiped the floor with them. I hope that doesn't happen. I'm hoping for Cincinnati to A, make a game. And I would love to see them win this one. I'm just not sure I buy into it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll get to our NFL weekend look ahead. But next, I've got two potential trade candidates that are a little out of left field. I want to see if you guys have any interest in these. We have a left fielder. Good point. We'll talk about him next on 101 ESPN. The 100,000 watt blowtorch for St. Louis sports, driven by Auto Centers Nissan, home of the 30 day return. WXOS and WXOS HD1, East St. Louis. 101 ESPN. Wall to wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and EB Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. So you guys know I I like finding some uh, outside-the-box players that could be of interest for the Cardinals, especially when there's quite literally nothing taking place in baseball, right? So Josh Harrison, anybody? No, but a former teammate of Josh Harrison's is actually one of the players is that it I would like to favorite? talk about today. Suit, 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 no, 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 no. I have no interest in Sutsugio coming Why? over to the Cardinals. Damn. However, however... I was reading over on MLB trade rumors yesterday, and they mentioned Josh Bell as somebody who might be an intriguing trade candidate from the Nationals after everything opens back up again. I thought about it a little bit. I was like, you know what? In what way is Josh Bell all that different from like a Kyle Schwarber or some of these other bats that we've been talking so much about? Uh, Schwarber's consistent. So is Josh Bell. Josh Bell has had one down season, and it was during the pandemic year that, you know, I, I, I don't care. If you had a bad year during the pandemic and every other year you've been good, I'm just going to wipe that clean and pretend like it never happened. It was just a 60-game sample size. Josh Bell is 29 years old. Last season for the Washington Nationals in his first season there, hit 260 with 27 home runs and 88 RBI. 
His final season in Pittsburgh, the full season that he played in in 2019, 275 hitter with 37 home runs and 116 RBI. This is a guy that seems like he's come into his own. If you look at some of the advanced numbers for him last year, his ground ball rate did go up a little bit. But other than that, everything else was excellent. He was a really, really good all-around hitter. In fact, this guy, like you can make an argument, is a better hitter consistently over the last three seasons than Kyle Schwarber has been. He's got one year left on his deal. It's arbitration eligibility at a projected $10 million salary. I have no idea what it would take in a trade to get a guy like Josh Bell from a team in Washington that, let's be honest, probably isn't contending next year. Is that somebody that you guys would be interested in? Could I interest you in Josh Bell as a trade candidate for the St. Louis Cardinals? I don't think so, uh, mostly because, and look, the guy's numbers are there, but I, I just I feel like you would have to give up too much to get him, whereas I could spend money on Kyle Schwarber that I have, and he could provide me what Josh Bell has. And the other thing about Josh Bell is, I mean, you're talking about one position, and I don't even know how good of an outfielder he was with Washington. I mean, he's a DH. If you trade for Josh Bell, he'll be a DH. And, and that's where I'm at. And again, don't but so get, is Kyle Schwarber. Exactly. And don't get me wrong here. Josh Bell is a much better player than this guy. But I would rather either sign a Kyle Schwarber or I would rather or trade. Yeah, sign Kyle Schwarber or I would rather sign a Colin Moran. And I know the bat's not Josh Bell. But the bat is probably the next step down from Josh Bell. But I know Colin Moran can give me multiple positions. I know that I could have him at third, at first, at DH. If we needed to, I think he could play a corner outfielder just as well as Josh Bell. If I'm going to sign a guy that's only going to be a DH, I think if I'm putting him into the Cardinals system, I need somebody who can play multiple positions so that I could get him more at bats. See, the reason why I don't feel that way is because you already have DeYoung, Edmundo Sosa, and Tommy Edmond, and then the guys that you'd be potentially calling up this year from AAA also have that position versatility. If you have Juan Yepes on this big league roster, he can play either of the corner infield positions, and my assumption would be if you needed to throw him out there in the outfield, he probably could. You do have Lars Newtbar who can play basically anywhere in the outfield, and guy like Brendan Donovan can play all over in the infield. Uh, if you're bringing up one of the other guys, you've got a million of them right now in your in your minor league system. Uh, Nolan Gorman, he, he's somebody that can play second or third if you need him to. I think you have that position versatility already on your bench. I'm just looking for a bopper. I need to, I need a bat that can come in that I can put in the middle of my order, bat him fifth or sixth. And I do think that a guy like Josh Bell is exactly the type of hitter. He is essentially Kyle Schwarber with a lower strikeout rate and a slightly higher batting average. And if I can get him at a reasonable cost, and that is a huge disclaimer here, because again, I don't know what the Nationals would be looking for in return for a guy like Bell. If I can get him for a reasonable return, I do think he's exactly the type of bat that this Cardinals team is missing, Tanner. I'm with you. I I think I would pull the move off because I don't think he's going to require a I mean, the top six prospects are the guys the Cardinals don't want to move on from. I don't think he would require one of those. I think he may acquire two or three top 30 prospects. Maybe a guy that's like a on-the-cusp big league or two, like a Brendan Donovan, someone like that. And I'd be willing to make that move because I view the DH spot, and I understand where Alex is coming from of why I want a guy with versatility. But I've always viewed the DH spot as just kind of a that's – a, that's a spot where I just want a guy that I know is just going to hit every day. I don't worry about if he's going to be in the – honestly, may never touch the field if, if that's the case for me. So 
I would consider if he, if the deal is right, I would make the move for Josh Bell because I'm with you. He's kind of that big impact bat that the Cardinals are looking for. You could probably hit him if you wanted to hit him lead off. You probably could, or if you wanted to hit him more down in the order, like fifth, sixth, somewhere in that, or probably fifth actually, then you could do that as well. So I, I think he's the perfect move. I have no issue just acquiring a guy to be a DH because. That's essentially what Kyle Schwarber would be brought in to do is just be DH, may never see the field. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to make the trade for Josh Bell, which I think is going to require some players you don't want to lose, I'd rather just sign Kyle Schwarber. What is, I guess here's the question that I would ask as a follow-up to that. Let me say off the front end, your top seven prospects, because I think most of them would be off limits in a trade like this. Gorman, Liberator, Walker win Baez, their second-round pick last year, McGreevy, their first-round pick last year, and Yvonne Herrera, who they view as the future at catcher. All of them are off of the table for the Nationals. It's not going to be in a trade like this where you get one year of club control over a DH. What is the level of prospects that you wouldn't be willing to include after that? Like, what is too much in your mind for a guy like Josh Bell? See, I, and if it's none of those guys, I'm probably okay with it then. Um, uh, did you mention that outfielder that has skyrocketed up to the top list? Yeah, What's Baez. his name? Baez? Yeah. You mentioned him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's not going anywhere. If it's none of those guys, then maybe I'm pulling the trigger. I might not be making Like an a, Alec Burleson. I'm probably I, I, pulling the trigger on that, if that's all it takes. But, I, you know, if you got I think it would be something like if that. If you got to package multiple guys together, though, I just don't know if I would do that for a guy that I could probably get the same production from and sign him to a deal. And, look, I understand the, the, the pushback on that would be, well, you got to sign Schwarber to multiple years, and you get Josh Bell for, what is he, a couple of years with Washington? One, one more year? One more year, yeah. It's a one-year deal. Uh, but you know what? I think Kyle Schwarber would pay off for me in a three-year deal if I were able to lock him up to that. See, I think you could even potentially extend Josh Bell. That, that's the other thing is if if you were to acquire him, I do think it would be a somewhat reasonable deal. I think you could get him maybe even at a lower AAV uh, salary per year than Kyle Schwarber because he doesn't have quite the same pedigree as what Kyle Schwarber did coming into the league. So I... I think you could get him and then potentially extend him. I, I think you'd be a really good fit here in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think you could extend him, and I don't think it would be a massive deal. I mean, you could probably extend him for three, four-year deal, and it wouldn't cost a lot. I, I think I agree. I think it would probably be a lower AAV than what Kyle Schwarber's going to get on the open market. And plus, that's kind of the comp for him. So if you could do it before Schwarber signs, it'd probably be even better. But, of course, the lockout slows that down. But in terms of including multiple top 30 prospects, I mean – Let's be honest. Looking outside the Cardinals' top seven, you've got Zach Thompson and the other one is uh, Juan Yepes. Those are like the two that I look at that I could say those guys are probably could be long-term big leaguers for the Cardinals team. The rest of the guys that I look on this list, I can't honestly tell you if I see a long-term fit for them here in St. Louis. So if I could part with like two, three of them, I would be willing to do that for the deal for Josh Bell, even if it ultimately ends up being a rental. You said there's multiple guys. Who's the other guy, BK, in terms of? You you said there were multiple guys that you had in the back of your mind. Yeah, let's get to the other one here. So I I think the one that is more likely would be Josh Bell. I think he makes a lot of sense. Somebody on the text line did mention, hey, BK, you said the other day, uh, what about Nelson Cruz for $10 million? I would rather have him than Josh Bell. I get that. I think if you're trading for Bell, you're probably making him a multi-year option for you. But I do understand. I would agree, technically. I, I think Nelson Cruz is a better hitter than Bell, and that's really all you care about in this scenario. 
but they decided to go with a younger, uh, potentially more long-term play. I would understand the rationale between it, behind trading for Josh Bell instead. The other one, and I view this as very, very unlikely. I want to say that on the front end. But I do find it interesting. According to Buster Olney, the New York Yankees have talked about the possibility of trading for Matt Chapman, the Oakland Athletics' current third baseman, and potentially transitioning him over to shortstop. Instead of signing one of the top shortstops that are remaining still out there on the open market, Chapman has been, throughout his entire career, one of and probably the best third baseman in baseball. It's him and Nolan Arenado are the, the top two right now. He has not been good offensively, though, the last couple of seasons. And last year, he returned from, I think it was a hip injury, if I'm not mistaken, and he was pretty bad offensively. This would be an upside play where if you're trading for him, you would also do what the Yankees are talking about, where you transition him to shortstop. He has played with Nolan Arenado, funny enough, in high school. They, they went to the same high school together. Um, so they, they've got a history together. I don't know if they're friends or anything like that. But Probably they have, hated each other. They have a history together. High playing, school drama. Being in the same area. Can I interest you in a trade for Matt Chapman, who still has another year left on his contract, and then one more year after that in arbitration, as a potential shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. How confident are we that he can be a good shortstop for you? I'm pretty confident he'll be good defensively. I have no idea what he's going to be offensively for you. I guess I would have to see what the trade is. I mean, I would be all in on this. I love Matt Chapman, and I think he could be a stud for you. I think he's another impact bat if he's back to himself. The hip injury makes me a little hesitant. So I guess it depends on what the trade is. I When we role-played yesterday, I made that deal for Cattell Marte with three of your top prospects if that's what it takes to get Chapman I'm out on this if it's one of those guys I might be interested in this yeah I I don't know if I would have interest in this deal now I have interest in Matt Chapman because of the bat presence that he brings but because of the hip not only am I concerned offensively but I'm also concerned if I try to transition him to shortstop if that's the scenario now if you acquire him to be a DH then yeah that would be fine but I don't think you acquire a guy like Matt Chapman to be an everyday DH because he is historically been known to be a good defender, but the hip injury is what concerns me in terms of his offense, and especially if I'm moving him to more uh, a uh, more premier position at shortstop, that's too much of a concern for me, and I think it would cost a lot. So I don't know if I would have interest if I'm the Cardinals. I think he'd be really good. I, I, I think defensively you'd, you'd be able to make it work. I have no idea what the bat would be like. Because last year, he was just so bad offensively. He finished the year batting 210, and he hasn't been a really high on-base, per, or, excuse me, uh, batting average guy in his career. He's a slugger, and the slugging percentage really dipped in a big way last season. He was at 400 as a slugging percentage. That's a really fantastic on-base percentage. That's an awful, awful slugging percentage. So I, I couldn't trade anything of significance. All of those top seven guys we talked about that would be off the table for Bell – it's the same way I feel right now for a guy like Matt Chapman as well. I think for a team that's desperate like the Yankees to get a shortstop, he makes some sense. I don't know if the Cardinals are that desperate because I don't know right now how much better his bat is than a guy like Paul DeYoung. And I know that's weird to say, but they had very similar seasons last year. So it's hard for me to say right now he's a significant upgrade over DeYoung and he's coming to play a position that he, he hasn't played in the big league. So it, of these two... I would be way more interested in Josh Bell than I would be in Matt Chapman. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got a Ferrario 5 for you today. Something's been taking place in the NBA in recent weeks. I wonder who you would want in this scenario for the Cardinals. We'll talk about that at 1130. But next, 
Is this the week that we officially turn the page on the Bengals? Talk about it next on 101 ESPN. More Blues talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Because when you look at this Kansas City Chiefs team, they're playing defensively right now at brand of football that's unheard of, right? And especially how they start the year off. If this offense for the Cincinnati Bengals can go in there and score at will, go up and down that football field and score points and come out with a victory, they will be the talk of the NFL uh, uh, late in the season. That was Harry Douglas on ESPN yesterday talking about what's at stake for the Cincinnati Bengals in this game on Sunday against Kansas City Chiefs with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I think this is the game of the week in my mind. I think you can make a case over on the uh, the other side of things in the NFC with Cardinals versus Cowboys, but... Uh, man, I am fascinated to see what the Bengals are able to do offensively against the Chiefs. I agree with Harry Douglas. If they are able to look offensively the way that they did last week, or even if it's like 60% of what they did last week against uh, Baltimore, and they come out with a win against Kansas City, I, I have not bought in all the way on the Bengals just yet. I'm still a little skeptical that they're going to be able to sustain this long term. But if they do it against Kansas City... I think we officially have to start taking them seriously as a legit contender in the AFC. Is that how you feel on this as well? I'm with you, and I think this is the biggest measuring stick that they can ask for. And think about the teams that they've overcome this season. They beat Pittsburgh. They beat Baltimore twice. Now you're taking on this team whose defense actually has turned the corner and is the reason Kansas City's been playing so well. I don't know if they'll be able to repeat the performance because Baltimore basically was playing their fourth-string cornerbacks on each side. They didn't have any rush defense because their guys were injured. Baltimore was a banged-up team. Kansas City's surprisingly healthy at this time of the season, so I don't think they'll be able to replicate it. But if they're able to put together a grinder, gritty type of performance against Kansas City and pull out a victory... Yeah, I'd be buying in on this. The one thing that I'm still skeptical about is the offensive line for Cincinnati and defensively if they can consistently perform because they've had up and down weeks. But if they can capitalize on those two things, I think they have the weapons. I compared them earlier this week to what the Dallas Cowboys are. They have the weapons, in my opinion, the same as the Dallas Cowboys. And if that's the case, there's no reason that we shouldn't be turning the page on them. Yeah, I'm with you guys. If they're able to go into or be able to take down the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend, then I, then I have I have to buy in, even if I still believe there are inconsistencies with that defense. Because unlike the Cowboys, they don't have the defense in my in my opinion. Now they're they're able to utilize their weapons a lot better than what the Cowboys have so far this year. But to me, I just can't buy into the defense. Now, if the defense, I'll be honest, if they even beat. The Chiefs this week, but the de- it's a shootout. I'm not sure I can buy into the Bengals then either because I want to see the defense kind of take that next step. We talked about it, uh, it as either earlier this week or last week about you know the tie. What is the tiebreaker for some of these top teams? It's defense. Well, if they're not going to be able to stop Kansas City this weekend, it gives me an idea that they're probably going to struggle to stop anybody in the playoffs. And then I just don't know if I can buy in because I know the weapons are there offensively, but can the defense find a way to kind of 
grind through a game and be able to come up with that big stop that they need. Man, but if you beat Kansas City in a shootout, BK, I think I might be a little bit more impressed by that. And, man, I think their defense is a little better than you guys are giving them credit for. They're, they're not great. They're not the same as the Patriots or the Bills or the Chiefs right now. But they're basically the same as the Colts. And, and we don't view the Colts as, hey, their defense is going to be a problem, and that's why they can't be a contender. We view them, the issue is, or at least I do, I don't trust Carson Wentz in a big spot when he's going to need to make a play to go make that play. So if I feel that way about the Colts, and that's my biggest question, hey, I mean, the, the biggest issue for the Bengals is not necessarily their defense. I, I think it's just our our willingness to buy into, A, that offensive line, and B, a young team that has never been there before with a coach that I still have questions about in Zach Taylor, fair or otherwise, that's my reservation with them. Their defense, Trey Hendrickson's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Chidobi Awuzie is a pretty darn good corner on the outside that's had a, a breakout year. Their safeties are really good on the back end, and when healthy, their linebackers are quite good as well. That's one of the issues this week, though. This is just not a very healthy linebacking core for, for Cincinnati. And when you're taking on the Chiefs and you got to defend Ty, uh, Travis Kelsey, good luck with that if you don't have a healthy linebacker core. I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up. But if they do, if the Bengals are able to win this one, and I don't care if it's 52-49 to 49 or if it's 17-13, if the Bengals win this game, Tanner, you mentioned like the, the tiebreaker in the NFC, you got to look at the defenses. That's the thing for me. It's not the same in the AFC. The teams they're going up against aren't the same caliber as uh, a team like Tampa Bay or Arizona or L.A. or Green Bay or Dallas. You don't have all those top-tier contenders. It's basically just the Chiefs, in my mind, right now at the top of the list. If you take them down this late in the season as we're getting ready to go into the playoffs, and by the way, this game really matters for Kansas City because if they lose it, they might lose that first-round bye. I've got to take the Bengals seriously as a team that can come out of the AFC. Yeah, and I understand that. I just can't. And to your concern with like the head coach and Zach Taylor, I I don't have. I can't say I'm going into a game going, okay, Zach Taylor's going to be able to out coach like an Andy Reid or someone like that. But I don't think he's a negative for this Bengals team because I haven't looked at the Bengals once this year and said, okay, that game is on Zach Taylor. He mismanaged that game. Now you could question him last year with the handling of everything, but I and you could question the inconsistencies this year. I just think they're a young team going through this. This is kind of that emergence for the Cincinnati Bengals so I don't even put any of that on the coaching staff maybe next year I'll be more critical of it I just struggle and I understand it's just it's a different conference I just cannot buy into a team that to me is just I can't trust defensively and I don't trust the Bengals defensively enough to say even if they beat the Chiefs but it's a shootout that I can buy into them because once you get into the playoffs it becomes a lot harder to have these kind of shootout wins we see year in and year out so that is the matchup. Do you guys agree that's the one that you're most looking forward to, or do, you, do either of you, are, are you more looking forward to the Cardinals-Cowboys game? Cardinals-Cowboys one I'm really looking forward to, but there's there's kind of a sleeper team or game that I'm looking forward to, and it's Philly versus Washington. And, and they're both playing. The only reason I'm looking forward to is they're both playing for a playoff spot. And I, I It'd I be tough for Washington to get in at this point. It would be, but, I mean, they're kind of on the same level as Philly right now, right? I mean, they're, what, one game two games less, back. two games back yeah. of them? So, I mean, it'd be tough for them to get there, but if you beat Philly, at least you're closer to it. So I'm at least intrigued of what happens in that game. Like, I'll turn it on and I'll pay closer attention to it. It's not the favorite game the two that we mentioned are, but that one's up there. I think the sleeper game for me is the Broncos at Chargers because the Chargers are still in that playoff hunt. 
the Broncos, not really. There's, they're going to be basically these are the final two audition games for Drew Locke to prove if he can mm-hmm. be a franchise quarterback, even though I think we all know the answer to that. But the Chargers, with that loss to Houston, how do they respond? And their schedule remaining is, if I'm not mistaken, it's this game against the Broncos, and I think they've got the Raiders left. Two division foes, and the Raiders are in the playoff hunt, and I expect them to win with Carson Wentz out against the Colts this weekend. So, to me, this is a huge game. This is a win-or-go-home type game for the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And if you don't beat the the Broncos with Drew Locke as their starting quarterback, and I, I don't know what the status is with Teddy, um, but if Drew Locke is starting this weekend, you, you don't deserve to make the playoffs if you're the Chargers. So that that is one that is at least keeping worth keeping an eye on. I was excited about Vikings versus Packers, but now it was announced earlier today that uh, it looks like we're going to be or the the Vikings are going to be without Kirk Cousins this weekend. He's an unvaccinated player. Uh, he tested positive for COVID earlier today. So the Vikings going to be starting potentially Sean Mannion. That takes a lot of the juice out of that Sunday night football matchup. What's the upset you guys are looking forward to this weekend? If there was one upset that you had to pick on this weekend slate, what's the one that you're going to be watching for? I'll kick us off if you guys would like. I think the Dolphins have every opportunity to beat the, the Titans in Tennessee. I, after what we saw from from uh, Miami last week, I just really like that defense, man. And I don't trust the Titans to be able to get their running game going. I'm going to take the Dolphins on the road in Tennessee to beat the Titans straight up. I'm going to take Steelers over the Browns. Uh, talking with Heiss yesterday saying that Steelers have never lost. Ben Roethlisberger has never lost a game on home field against Cleveland in his career. And I, the only reason I'm having this as an upset is because I think a lot of people would pick Cleveland as the favorite. They have Baker Mayfield. They're going to have – it sounds like Kareem Hunt's going to be back. Their defense is going to be healthy. Vegas has them as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I so. would pick the Steelers winning that one because I think Pittsburgh on home field, and they're kind of in the same spot as Washington where it's very unlikely they make the playoffs, but at least there's still a shot. I think I could see Pittsburgh taking down Cleveland. I think I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens at home against the L.A. Rams. Woo! Wow. With Tyler Huntley, huh? Someone hates the Rams. Yeah, well, he's been, he's played pretty well when he's been in action. And and the Rams, they looked just blah last weekend. I would expect kind of a bounce-back game from Stafford. But I'll be honest, I can't really buy into a bounce-back game from Matthew Stafford. What I've seen from this year has been a little disappointing. So, And they've got to go, you know my thing, they got to go west to east. This game got moved up. Originally, it was Lord. a three. Oh, originally, it was a three thirty start. Right. It's now at Good noon. Good lord! I, I think I, keep an eye on Baltimore to possibly upset the Rams. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. But next, we've got a Ferrario five to give you here on 101 ESPN. Wall to wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and ENB Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. So, Alex, on our last commercial break, right before we came back, so you know we sh- we should do a segment where we have an AMA. I don't know what that okay. means, but I'm down. Ask me anything, Tanner. Just, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I said, okay. Um, what What if we do something like questions and answers? Maybe we no, call it that. No, that's that's too that's too sportsy. I'm thinking more like, hey, everything's on the table right now. Okay. So in the next segment, everything's questions on the table. Questions and answers becomes AMA. Everything. For one day only on this ah, New yeah, Year's like Eve it. edition of BK and Ferrario. We'll do that coming up here in 10 minutes Everything or so. Everything is on the table, ladies and gentlemen.
But right now, Alex, over the last few weeks, with all of the COVID cases on the rise in the NBA and really nationwide, but we don't have to get into that, NBA teams are signing former stars, guys that were at one point top of the league is Alan at their back? respective positions. He is not, but Mario yeah. Chalmers just signed oh, with the Miami same Heat. Thing. Joe Johnson has signed with a team. Isaiah Thomas was back. Greg Monroe was in the league once again. Good Lord. All of them signed the 10-day contracts because of the hardships that have taken place for some of these teams. I wanted to ask you, if the Cardinals were in this situation where they got an exemption and they could bring back any former Cardinal on a 10-day contract, a 10-day contract, so they play seven, eight games for the Cardinals. Do they have to be the age they are currently? However you want to view this, I okay. will allow you to do so. If you could bring back five guys, maybe we make this a Ferrari 05, for example. Well, if you're doing the five, five of them. five former Cardinals that you would most like to see sign a 10-day contract with the Cardinals, who would it be? This is probably because the T-Bone 3 plus 2 sucked so much earlier this week no, that we no, can't go true. back to it. So, T-Bone, you know the drill. Hit the damn open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. A little on the aggressive side today, Ferrario. Because I'm wearing my Italian Rocky sweater. All right, so I put a little stipulations in this one, boys. You're already so, cheating? Yeah. Well, you can't just do any Cardinal because, it, I mean, it's obvious. You'd go Stan Musial. You'd go Bob Gibson. You'd go the Hall of Famers. Oh, We're going currently alive Cardinals. Okay. So deceased Cardinals do not apply in this one. Okay. And we are going at their peak because you're peak good, you're peak, No, not peak war or oh. not peak zips or anything like that. We're going at their best rather than currently because their arguments are all over the place with this one. All right. Remember, everyone, this is my list, so direct your hate towards BK. I already know there's going to be a player that I'm very upset is not on this list, but go ahead. Oh, he's totally going to be a player that's going to be upset about this list. Okay, number five on this list, Rick Ankiel. Yep, I put Rick Ankiel on this, and hear me tonight. out. Hear me out here, guys. I love Ank, but what are we doing? Shohei Otani right now in the league. He's pitching. He's smashing. That's what Rick Ankiel could do. Rick Ankiel could be a bullpen piece for you, and he can hit 30 bombs in a DH position. So I went Rick Ankiel with my number five pick. You not like it? Keep going, Remember, man. this was my, your list. I my damn list. I actually love that because he is so versatile, and it's 10 days, so yeah, why and not? You're, and if you're putting him on he, this team, there's not like a blare, a glaring hole that you need somebody for, so why not bring a dude he, who could be your bench bat? He could play the outfield, and he could pitch for you. He Keep attempted going. a comeback, too, if I'm not mistaken, at one point. Damn he right. He could probably play right now. Number well, we four. We saw it. He definitely can. You saw to his be first fair, pitch at Bush Stadium. Dude can. Number four on this list, Izzy, Jason Isringhausen. What, what were you making a face like that I for? like that one, too. How do you not like this one? What, do you don't want one of the best closers in Love Cardinals it. history to come back and work in the bullpen for you? Okay, brings a little nastiness to his style. He is your closer, which then pushes everyone back. You want to spend all the damn money on Joe Kelly in the offseason. I'll give you one better. Bring back Izzy. You got a problem with that one, too? Nope, that's a good one. Number three on this list, boys, Lance Berkman. Lance Berkman, the switch hitter, the guy who can hit from the left side, the guy who not only can give you home runs, but he can get on base, score runs. He provides everything. He is the ultimate DH for you. 
Lance Berkman, you put him on a team in his prime now, oh, watch out. That would be an ultimate World Series favorite on this Cardinals if you put him on this team right now. Number two on this list is Chris Carpenter. I think if you were to put Chris Carpenter, we hear so many people talk about putting a starter in the rotation and figuring things out. You put Chris Carpenter in the prime in this team, again, I, I feel like this would be, this would put the Cardinals at an untouchable level in the National League with Chris Carpenter in a rotation with Jack Flaherty, along with Adam Wainwright, along with Steven Matz. You're pushing somebody out of the rotation. So Chris Carpenter was number two. And I think number one's pretty obvious in this one, guys, but it's Ozzie Smith. You fix the problem at shortstop. His bat, eh, you know what? His bat may not be the selling point in this one, but the defense for sure is. You're locking down the shortstop position. Guess what? You've just added another gold glove to your already list of them. So Ozzie on this team, I think, was the clear-cut number one. There's All right. One guy I'm stunned that did not make the list, and I'm sure it's the same name. Is it Albert, is it Albert Pujols? No, because he's still, like, playing. But No, no, that, that is one. That is definitely one I that I would have on my list. I didn't put Pujols I, see, I didn't. Him. I wouldn't think of him because he's a free agent. He's signed a one-year deal. I just didn't think of that because I was thinking more of, and look, I get the bats there, and of course it is, but I'm thinking more like putting that player on this roster. Mark McGuire? Where the hell's Matt Holiday too? But Mark McGuire, I got Lance Berkman. What do I need Matt Holiday for? Matt Holiday is awesome. All we've been saying and all Alex has been saying all offseason is the Cardinals are missing another big bat in the middle That's of their order. That's what I got Lance Berkman for. That's what I got Lance Berkman for. Matt Holiday's a bigger man. I just, I, hey man, this is my list. If you want to do a BK five, we'll name for that five. Mark McGuire should have been on this list. Albert Pools, I would have had on my list. Matt Holiday definitely would have been on my list. But that's why I went Lance Berkman. You know who else would have been on my list? Jim Edmonds. All you guys that are comparing Harrison Bader to Jim Edmonds, let's just yeah. bring back Jim Edmonds. Yeah. Let's go ahead and have one of the that was a that maybe was a, the best center fielder in the sport right now. That was that was a really good one. Um, <laughs> and for some reason, I didn't think of Jim Edmonds, but I was thinking more like. And again, I know you bring Jim Edmonds on this team, you put him in center field, you're fixing that problem. But I was thinking more like if I'm bringing players and putting them on this roster now, like filling that hole, that's why I kind of thought Rick Anky, because I'm thinking who was one of the, and you know the other one that I thought that could have got on here too was Ryan Ludwig, because I'm thinking like a guy who's a bench bat who could be the fourth outfielder and who can add a multi, like play multiple roles for you. And Rick Ankiel. I mean, Rick Ankiel, you might be able to use him like a Shohei Otani to where you can pitch him and you can have him hit. I, that was why he came to mind here. But, I, I frankly, I went Matt, Lance Berkman over Matt Holiday because I think Lance Berkman in his prime on this team, and again, that's where I went with in his prime. I think Lance Berkman as a switch hitter in his prime on this team is better than Matt Holiday in his prime on this team. I would take Holiday. I understand the argument there. The other one that we haven't mentioned that probably at least at, at a minimum deserves a mention, and this is definitely based on roster construction, uh, Willie McGee would have been the other that I, I would have understood the argument. You could also put Batum leadoff, yeah, and that's something that's, that this that's team is good one. desperately needing Larry right Walker's now. another good one. Yeah. 
Uh, so his his list, Alex's list, and he put a lot of effort into this. So be nice to him, ladies and gentlemen. No, I don't need nice. Nah, this list bad. The five <laughs> former five Cardinals that if Alex could see them signed to a 10-day deal the way the NBA is doing right now with some of their former stars, he would like to see in St. Louis. Number one, Ozzie Smith. Number two, Chris Carpenter. Number three, Lance Berkman. Number four, Izzy. And number five, Rick Ankiel. Coming up in 15 minutes. <laughs> People are brutal. Sorry, everyone. Is it time for the Blues to do what Minnesota just decided to? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, it's normally questions and answers. Today, a totally different segment. Ask me anything here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Not for questions and answers. No, 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 no. Yeah. Very different segment New today. Year's Eve, boys. Alex wanted to switch it up. Today, it's Ask Us Anything. So if you've got a question that you've always wondered about Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, or myself, Brandon Kylie, you can get those in right now at 65780, and we will be obligated to answer them. Yeah, Let's it's like go- truth or dare. Basically, but all truths. From the 314, what is Alex Ferrario's most embarrassing school dance moment? So, fun story. I Oh, good, of course. I don't have an embarrassing school dance moment because I didn't really go to many school dances. Too cool? No, I just never. Too cool in your tracksuit? Never really wanted to, although I did look good in tracksuits. I, I will give you one, though. This is more of a... Yeah, I guess this would be a dance one. So this was probably my sophomore year of high school. And again, I don't go like I think I gone I went to three dances in my entire high school career. I went to one though, and I went to my school's high school dance, and I took a girl I was dating from an all-girl high school. And we were there, we were dancing, as you know, high school dances can get a little out of control. We were dancing. Somebody at the dance walked over and handed the girl that I was there with a $5 bill and put it in her dress and said, you should go to a strip club. That is she awkward. left crying for the rest of the night. It's awful. I know. I thought it was hilarious, though. My God. And that you relationship didn't last person. much longer. I just, it's, I, it was one of those BK things. BK has like, anger issues, and you're just a terrible person. It might be, but I thought it That's was actually, awful. I thought it was funny because I'm like. Have you I'm, talked with that girl? No, God, no. I mean, that could do some serious psychological damage, man. That's awful. Well, but I mean, she was kind of dancing okay. in that direction. Enough. So they were Enough. like, okay. Enough. I mean, that, that was embarrassing for her, not for me. I thought it was kind of funny. All right. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. I was not prepared for that to be the answer from the 618. If hey, you it's could, AMA. If you could be a perennial all-star in any sport, what sport would it be, and what position would you play? Tanner already is in tennis, so. True. There's no all-star game, though, sadly. Shit, T-Bone, you go first. Oh, man, that's a good one. I, I think I would be, I think I'd want it to be a point guard in basketball. I, I enjoy I enjoy watching baseball, and I love the game of baseball, but that's a long freaking year, and, and I enjoyed playing basketball, so I'd probably say, Point guard, because I'm more of a passer, can't shoot worth a darn. But I'd say point guard to be an all-star. It's mostly because guys tower over you and you wouldn't be able to get to the basket, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I give the ball to other people. Man, this one's tough. I I think 
being such a, a hockey fan, I think I would stick in the sport of hockey and I would go goaltender. Like, I think that's so cool to be the guy that everyone relies upon in the game. You know, like Alex would 100% be Jordan Bennington. Oh, he yeah. Would, he would be I would swing the sticks. stick at everybody. I would be starting goalie fights. Like, I, I always love the celebrations. Like, to be able to celebrate when you score a goal and, like, jump into the glass is so cool. But to know that you're the guy that is the last resort for a team to win a hockey game would be incredible. So I would pick goaltender. I was going to say basketball as well, just because long term, it's probably the best on your body. I'm going to go baseball player, though, and I would probably want to be a center fielder. Oh, God, I knew he was going to say center Shocker. fielder. <laughs> I wonder where he got that from. I, guys, I think I would be Harrison Bader. <laughs> like, no, no, we said perennial all-star. Yeah, I would, I would be Jim Edmonds. Like That, that, would, that would be the, so what I would So you're saying Edmonds is better than Bader? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I love Harrison uh, Bader, I, but I, I think he would we're, tell you. I didn't realize we are giving comps for each player. I guess I'm Isaiah Thomas because I'd be so small. You'd be Muggsy Bugs. I don't know who that totally is. Oh, of course you don't. Totally um, no, yeah, you'd be white chocolate. I, I would I would try to be a center fielder in baseball if I could be a perennial all-star. That that sounds awesome. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the five, excuse me, for Ask Us Anything from the 573. How did you guys get to where you are now? What made you want to be on the radio? I'll go like the five-second speech compared to what it had. But, I yeah, mean, the I was whole story say, is, forever. Uh, was broke for a really long tr- time, had about 17 different breaks with 100,000 people that all helped me get to where I am today. That's the real story, the five-second elevator speech. Always knew I wanted to do this since I was a sophomore in high school. Started out listening to Nick Wright on radio in Kansas City. Was like, hey, I, that sounds like an awesome show. I think I, I can get paid to talk about sports. How do I do that? Decided to go to Mizzou, did a show out there, 7 a.m. every morning, junior and senior year. Did a show in Columbia, then St. Louis, back to Kansas City, and now here we are today. That's the one-minute elevator pitch, but uh, long story short, you need a lot of help along the way and really good people around you. Yeah, great relationships. I started to know I wanted to be in sports somehow when I was like nine, and I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting because I loved listening to Ken Wilson. It was appointment listening, watching radio or TV with him when it came to blues hockey. Um, from there, it just was a matter of falling in love with it. And I got into this business, and BK's right. you got to have great relationships and great people. I think I've told this story before, but Jeremy Rutherford is the reason I'm where I'm at today. Jeremy Rutherford, he and his wife were married by the pastor of the church that I was going to at the time. And the pastor, who I was friends with, the family, and they were like, oh, I know you want to get into sports. Let me introduce you to JR. We met at Bandanas in Arnold for lunch and from there jr got me into the broadcast booth with chris kerber and i never looked back from the career so jeremy rutherford is actually one of the biggest reasons why i'm in radio today well i don't have that cool a story i can't top that mine i knew i always wanted to be involved with sports and i got involved in it since middle school high school i did pa announcing and stuff like that knew i wanted to do something with radio sports i thought it'd be play by play not on the radio side of things Went to Lewis and Clark Community College. They had a radio station there, became the sports director, was doing play-by-play, hosting the show on weekends. Mike Ryder, our executive producer here at 101 ESPN, was one of my teachers there. And then then, then ultimately how I ended up getting here. He he made he was my connection to getting to 101 ESPN. They brought me in part-time and then and got then over we here to middays. We wanted Tanner on the middays. Yep. I'm serious about that, by the way. Uh, and now he's our producer and has been for almost a year now. So this is um, a this is a good one. Before we go, I know we got to get to a break. I love this. We might have to make AMA something special every once in a while. 
All right, from the 636, what is Tanner's ideal girl? I knew this was the one you were going to throw at me because I uh, We got to know. We got to know. 2022, we're getting you a girl. Yeah, it's on the New Year's resolution for sure. What's the ideal female for you, T-Bone? You know, someone that's fun. Uh, not not anybody that's kind of like strict on anything like that. Just wants to have a fun time. What else you want from me? Nothing, Tanner. I'm stunned that you're single, buddy. <laughs> you just, uh, man, you gave us a uh, very tight list to find somebody on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a fun girl. Thanks, T-Bone. You're welcome. Maybe a sense of humor would help, too. <laughs> for you or for her. <laughs> <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. That's Got Tanner him. Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That was not questions and answers. It was the very different segment that we do every once in a while here on BK and Ferrario called Ask Us Anything. In 15 minutes, let's get to our football pick for the week. But next, the Minnesota Wild just jumped the line when it came to doing this. Are the Blues up next? We'll talk about it coming up here on 101 ESPN. More Blues talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. I think it's going to get done. I'm sure they've had conversations in, in the in the you know behind the scenes in terms of uh, you know not letting it become an issue between uh, the Blues and Craig Berube. You know, just leaving him wondering what's going on. You know, I'm sure Doug Armstrong has been up up front. So you know, what, whether it gets done soon or later, you know, I honestly don't know the answer. But I think we can all look at the situation and say that he and his staff have, have done a phenomenal job and. Have the playoff wins been there the past couple of years? No, it, it, they haven't. But but I think he's uh, really had control of this team, and especially during the circumstances with the pandemic, uh, really pushed him through. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with the morning show earlier today with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, the Minnesota Wild signed their coach yesterday to a multi-year extension. They jumped the line. This is something that I thought, hey, maybe the Blues would decide to do this going into the Winter Classic. That has at least not been announced by the St. Louis Blues. You would assume that they would do so uh, if that extension was agreed upon. Is it time for the Blues to at least get close to doing the same thing? Do you think it's going to happen soon? What, what are your expectations for if and when this extension ultimately gets done with Berube? Frankly, I'm amazed it hasn't happened yet. Um especially when we've seen what Craig Berube has done. And Kelly Chase, who was on with Carriker and Smallman a couple of days ago, said it best. He's like, sign the freaking guy. He's like, what are we doing here? This guy has been not just the 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 first head coach to win a Stanley Cup with his Blues team, but he has never had a full season with a full roster without COVID. I mean, he has done the unthinkable with this Blues team every single season, and he has the second highest winning percentage in Blues history as a head coach. Think about that for a minute. Think about people who have coached here. Scotty Bowman, Brian Sutter, Ken Hitchcock, who is number one, by the way. Joel Quenville. Joel Quenville, who in a lot of people's minds is one of the best head coaches in the NHL. Can't believe you just said that, but okay, go ahead. Thank you very much. Red Berenson is another good one. All of these players, all of these coaches, I should say, have done impeccable things for the Blues but none have accomplished the Stanley Cup like Craig Berube has. 
So the fact that you have the second highest winning percentage, the fact that you were one of seven coaches to do something that you win 200 games in the NHL, and on top of it, you played over 1,000 games in the NHL, and you've continued to put winning seasons together despite the adversity, you've got to lock him up. And I said at the beginning of the show, Minnesota and St. Louis are identical teams, and it doesn't surprise me that Dean Evason got locked up by Minnesota after two seasons. Two seasons where he has been the, well, two and a half, I guess, because he took over mid-year with Minnesota in the 2019-2020 season. But Sounds familiar. Exactly, 2020. And he's made the playoffs once in his first year. Guess what the Blues did in their coach's first year? So I think what you saw, I don't know if the terms were out on what Evanson's contract was. I know it was a three-year deal. It's a multi-year deal. It's a three-year deal. No idea what the money is. Sometimes they don't even announce what the money is for the coaches. But if I'm the Blues, I look at that and I say, Craig Bruby needs to get signed. And if it were me, I'd be locking him up to a three-, four-year contract. If I had to project when I think this thing is getting done, and listen, we've been wrong at every step on this because I thought it would be done before the season, much less uh, where we're at today – I think before their February 25th game against Buffalo, you will hear an, a contract extension announced with Craig Berube. And the reason why I say that is just that was when we were supposed to have that break for the Olympics, and that's not going to happen anymore. There will be a couple of games that are expected to be made up. I think they have three games that are supposed to be made up in that February 1st to the 25th span. But that's the perfect time to get something done. Get Get Army and... Uh, Baruby into a room, knock out all of the details on what that extension looks like, get a week to negotiate back and forth with one another. You're not taking away from what Baruby's trying to do inside of the, the dressing room with those guys. That's the time to do it. Get, get it knocked out right then and there, and you can go ahead for the rest of the season, just worry about what's taking place on the ice. There's no more questions that will have to be raised, especially during the playoff run potentially of, hey, have you thought about Baruby this potentially being your your last game here in St. Louis if they were ever in an elimination game in the playoffs? Eliminate all of that. Go ahead and get that thing done. That That's when I would assume that it would uh, it would make the most sense is during that February break. And I would imagine conversations are going on behind closed doors. I would imagine these guys have been talking with each other. Look, Doug Armstrong has been successful in every decision he has made with this Blues team, and this one would be no difference in my opinion so I think he knows this has to get done I don't know if I would panic if I'm a Blues fan if it's not done before the end of the season because coaches are different than players to where you know players you're going to get all these teams calling you up teams are going to call up coaches but I mean it's a little bit different for coaches because they have to feel like they can mesh well with that locker room. And if you're Craig Berube and you know you got a team that loves you, that has bought into the system, and that you know everything about this team in the city, you're not going to really want to go anywhere else until unless that ideal job is out there for you. So um, I, I'm with you, BK. I think February is a perfect time to get this done. But if you're Doug Armstrong, man, I just don't know if you can walk away from something like this. You have to have him here because if you want this cup window to stay open, if you want to continue to see these younger guys grow into actual NHL players, get a guy who knows how to manage them. So one thing that Craig Berube is really good at is getting guys to accept their roles. The, the player we always point to is Alex Steen, right? During that Stanley Cup run, Alexander Steen becoming a part of the fourth line and doing so well in that role and accepting and embracing that role is a big part of why the Blues were able to go on the cup run. 
Uh, this year, he's going to have to do that again. I don't know who it's going to be with. I don't know specifically which players are going to have to accept lesser roles. But we talked to Mike Rupp about this yesterday, Alex, about uh, the, the Blues players that are going to have to do so. Here's what it sounded like when uh, when he was talking about the Blues players accepting their roles on this team. It's okay. Get, you know, Now you might have to reevaluate or sorry, readjust your game a little bit to go down. You might not be getting the ice time, so you want to make sure you're doing the right things. But... Um, I think everything's coming up uh, golden for this team right now. And the biggest thing is just to get healthy. I was Mike Rupp talking about players accepting their roles uh, for this team, apparently. Uh, <laughs> might have mislabeled that cut. <laughs> um, I, I do think that you're going to have some of those, but Ivan Barbashev is one that we mentioned. Are there any other players in particular, Alex, that now that this team's actually healthy, which hasn't been the case for the vast majority of the season, you think might have to accept less ice time than they were expecting? I think Oscar Sundquist is one that's going to have to be brought up because, and he's accepted it in the past, but I think he's proven more so since that cup run that he is a top nine forward. Uh, the the big one for me, and we've talked about this before, is I think Braden Shen might have to look at that at some point this season. And a lot of this comes down to if Ivan Barbashev can continue to perform on the wing like he was at the center position, because if he can continue his production by playing a wing position, then guess what? You can make this work, and Shen can be a third-line center. But even that, even a third-line center is a different role for Braden Shen because Braden Shen has been one of the top guys in his career here with St. Louis. But I think the emergence of Robert Thomas has turned into a, hey, he's a top-six centerman. We, we need him on our second line, our first line, whatever it may be, so Braden Shen's ice time might turn into something a little bit different. So I, I think that's going to have to come down to accepting that role. You know, you might not be on the number one power play unit. You might be on the number two power play unit. You might not see the significant penalty kill time. But I think if Braden Shen's willing to accept that, and I have a feeling he's already ready to accept it because you know you have a shot at a Stanley Cup. It's easy to do, like Mike Rupp said, when you're winning games. But the big one for me is I think Braden Chen might have to accept not being a top six forward and now maybe a third or fourth line forward moving forward. I think the guy for me is Clem Costin. I'm really curious to see how he embraces being a potential fourth line player for this Blues team. Because we've seen it at times this year when he's been asked to do so. Uh, there are moments where he, he looks very engaged and looks like he's a physical presence on that fourth line, exactly like what you would draw it up as. Um, I am curious what that's going to look like if he is over an extended period of time, a stalwart on that fourth line. Uh, so he, he would be one of those guys that I would look at. I do think Sonny's another one where I think his best role for this team for the rest of this season, probably not for the future, but for right now, it's probably as a fourth line guy. Costin? Uh, no, Sonny. Sonny. Sonny, for this season, just because you have so many other options that are going to be on that third line yeah. for you that are legitimately dynamic players, contributors for you. And maybe this is just the year where he gets himself back to being right again. And next year you, you move him back up to that third line potentially, or even uh, a top six role whenever guys are out of the lineup. So th those would be the two that I would point to in particular. Tanner, did you have one that you wanted to mention? I, I just, I'm with Alex. I think it is Shen. And the reason I'm very curious to see how he accepted is because he's still got what six years left on his deal at $6.5 million as his cap yep. hit. Will he be willing to accept moving down in the lineup? I, I, to me, he's the most curious case because I, I think he's a top six four. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It's just the fact that he's been out. We've seen him kind of get Wally pipped with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo's emergence. And everybody else, I know we mentioned Ivan Barbashev. Uh, Barbashev, to me, is going to remain in the top six until he really falls off. 
because over uh, who? The, Sod, O'Reilly, Perron, Kairou, Thomas, Tarasenko. You tell me who you're taking out of that. All right, for, he's a third liner. But <laughs> Barbashev was the name that we brought Probably up. Probably Sod because he never passes <laughs> the puck. Yeah, there we go. But Bar- Barbashev was the, the, is another one then to bring up too because I think he's a top 6 four because I comped him earlier this week too. He's kind of the next David Perron. So I'm very curious to see Barbashev and uh, Braden Shen's roles moving forward. Man, this team's going to be really good. God, the, when you look at the talent, I mean, because Tanner, you're right. When you think about it, in theory, like, yeah, Barbie comes back. He's a top six forward. Okay, who are you taking out? And it's one of those good problems, right? Mm-hmm. Coming into the season before they signed Saad and, and Buchnevich. By the way, Buchnevich right now would be Buchnevich needs to be in that top six. Line player. So guess what? Saad or Perron might be playing on the third line. That's crazy. I bet you it's Saad because David Perron is the guy Saad, that is Shen paired and, with O'Reilly. Saad, Shen, and um, Barbashev. I mean, that might Damn. be your third that line. That is an absurd third line. Your third line is combined, I don't know how many goals Shen has, I think it's five. Your third line has a combined 30 goals already on the season. That's Almost 30 unbelievable. goals. I, like, no other team has that in the NHL. It's it, it, This has the potential to be the... And we said this at the beginning of the season, and we just haven't been able to see it because they, there have been so many COVID cases and so many injuries. Uh, it has the potential to be the deepest forward lines that we've seen, and that includes the Stanley Cup run. I still stick. This is the deepest the Blues have had at forward position in history of the franchise. I don't know, and I wasn't around, obviously, in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, but I don't really know of a team that has had this much depth at the forward position. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, yesterday we talked a lot about Hudson and Michaelis and how if this team added, the Cardinals added a starter, those would be the two guys that would at least get the look to go to the bullpen. What does a successful season look like? For those guys, we'll get into that and look at a little Cardinals history to give us a guide coming up in 15 minutes. But next, it's time for our weekly football pick 'em. That's coming up here on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall Blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. <laughs> Oh, it's time for our favorite day of the week. It is time for our football pick them through 13 weeks of us doing picks. I know there are more than 13 weeks that have been played. We have only sure? done 13 weeks of our pick them because of vacation and stuff like that. Well, I didn't take words, pay, vacation. Alex Ferrario is just lapping the field right now. What it's else 19, 15, and 1 overall in his picks this year. This is like the game of Mario Kart where I have already won first place and T-Bone and BK are just going backwards on the track. I must am be a miscalculation. 18, and 1. Tanner. Ooh, buddy. Ooh, he needs a couple of perfect weeks to even get close to 500. He's at 14 and 21 Woof. on the season. If I knew we were going to read that number off, I would have hit the dump button. Yeah, 0 and 2 last week for both myself and Tanner Hendrickson. So, Alex gets the first choice on where he's going to be selecting. We've got nine games to pick from this week, three games apiece. Alex picks the second overall pick. I'm going third, and Tanner is going to have the first pick. Tanner, what's your favorite game of the week? Well, considering what the line is that I'm seeing on this one, Raiders at Colts, Colts at minus seven. No Carson wins. I think I'm going to take the Raiders to cover that. Give me the Raiders plus seven in this one. Oh, you're already starting off with a loss. Not a loss. Who Sam Ellinger? They don't have, 
Who cares? Jonathan Taylor. I, I don't know if Carson Wentz is for sure out in this game, by the way. Oh, too late. He already picked it. I already wrote it down. He can't change okay. it. I feel confident. Just a heads up. We, we're not. The Raiders are going to okay. win this one. All right. So he's got okay. the Raiders plus the seven. Um, boy, do I want to start with some college football? I never do this. We've got the two college football playoff games today, and then the other Oklahoma, uh, the other game that we're picking from is Oklahoma State Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a two point favorite in that one in the Fiesta Bowl. You know where I'm going to go with this one? I'm going to put my face in the faith in the Dallas Cowboys minus six at Wait. home Why against you put the your Cardinals. Face in them? I'm not putting my face in them, although, eh, no, I won't do that. I'm going to go Cowboys minus six at home against the Cardinals. I know our guy Benny Heiss yesterday said the Cardinals could win this one, but I'm putting the faith in uh, Dak and that offense and, of course, the defense to shut down Arizona. All right, so you guys have uh, gone with the NFL games so far. I'm going to get us started with one of the college football games. I know I said earlier I'm very confident Bama wins. That line is just really big. It's 13 and a half in favor of Alabama. I like the other one. I like Georgia minus the seven and a half against Michigan. So that's going to be my first pick, Georgia minus the seven and a half. The other game that I'm going with, I really like the Chiefs to beat the Bengals. I hate the line. I wish it was three and a half, not four and a half. I could totally see that game finishing with the Chiefs winning 24-20. Bengals getting a garbage time touchdown, and that's the way they're able to keep it close. The game that I'm going to go with instead I like the Eagles minus four and a half on the road at Washington. Washington is decimated right now with injuries and COVID. They're just not the same team. You saw them last week. They got defensive linemen fighting on the sidelines. Uh, The Eagles are not a good team, but they're a heck of a lot better than the Washington uh, football team is. So I'm going to take the Eagles minus the four and a half. Jalen Hurts does just enough, and they're able to overcome this on the road four and a half point favorites well i'm gonna go dolphins at titans and since it's minus three and a half for tennessee i'm taking the dolphins plus three and a half um i think that without derrick henry and without julio jones i know they got aj brown back but i think that defense for miami um can put an end to the offense for tennessee and with miami still having something to play for and i know tennessee does as well in terms of possibly getting that top spot in the afc I think Miami gets or covers that plus three and a half Dolphins. I think I'm going to take that Chiefs game. I, I like the Chiefs minus four and a half. I told you the inconsistencies. I just don't believe in the Bengals defensively. Could they keep up offensively? Maybe, but that Chiefs defense is playing too good for me to buy into that. I'm going to go with the Chiefs minus four and a half. I get one more, right? Another, nope. That's nope. not how snake drafts work. Keep, we've never mastered the art of the snake draft. We, we have. have. Every time you say you it's the wrong way. continue to lose. Next one up for me. I know Tanner said he likes the other side of this one. I think it was Tanner. It might have been. It was It was Tanner. Uh, you said you like the Ravens, right, Tanner? Uh, I'm leaning towards them. I don't know if I would take them straight up, but maybe points. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely not. I'm going to go with the Rams side of things. I know it's West Coast to East Coast. Cool. It was moved to noon, all of these different West things. West Coast, East Coast. We've talked about this before, Tanner. That's not a real thing. It doesn't matter in 2021. It mattered when the uh, players were taking coach, and instead now they have private jets that hey. they take to these games. Rams minus five and a half. You saw what Joe Burrow did last week against this Ravens defense. I understand at least this week they have a competent quarterback for them in Baltimore. I like the Rams to shred the Ravens through the air. Look for a big game this weekend out of Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham Jr. They're going to get beat over the top in Baltimore. I like the Rams to put up a bunch of points. This well, it's Tanner's time, right? Oh, west no, wait. to east? 
we see, we don't know. But West East, real thing, but also maybe not for the Rams, because if I'm not mistaken, I could have this stat wrong, but I'm pretty sure Sean McVay is undefeated in the Eastern time zone in his career as a head coach. It doesn't matter. <sighs> All right, it does I'm, matter. What I'm staying the? away from Oklahoma State and Notre Dame because I have no read on that game. We talked about it. I think Cincy can keep it close. Minus 13 and a half, though, in a playoff game. I'm, I'm, putting my, I'm putting my faith in Nick Saban. I'm going Alabama minus 13 and a half against Cincinnati. Boy, nothing like when you're struggling. You get the one game that you have no idea who to take. Uh, Welcome to the loser side of the table, T-Bone. Notre Dame's minus two. I I think I'm going to take Oklahoma State plus two. Notre Dame doesn't have Brian Kelly, of course, because he left for the LSU job. So Oklahoma State, they've got their team in place, basically. So I I think I'm going to stick with Oklahoma State. I'm going to go plus two for Oklahoma State. I don't even know what bowl game this is, but give me Oklahoma State. It's the Fiesta Bowl. Come on, man. The Fiesta Bowl. Are we carrying that game tomorrow? Are we? I can't because your big face is on my TV where I normally look at. I'm pretty sure. Could be wrong on this. I apologize if I am. Don't do it. I'm pretty sure the Fiesta Bowl will be heard right here on 101 ESPN tomorrow at noon. Dump them. I think that's the case. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Dump them. Regardless, you'll be able to hear college football right here on 101. So, t you win Oklahoma State? That's right. Yeah. So the, the Cowboys. Picks for the week. Tanner going 0-3 once again. That's <laughs> the Raiders plus seven. Probably. He's got the Chiefs minus four and a half. God, I hope you're right on that one, Tanner. And Oklahoma State <laughs> plus the two. Alex has the Cowboys. He's all over them at six. Whoa, minus in him. six in that got one. Got his face in them. He's got Miami plus the three and a half and Alabama to cover a big 13 and a half point line. I've got a solid one and two week in me. Georgia minus seven and a half. The Eagles uh, minus four and a half. My third pick of the week. I'm going all favorites this week with the Rams. What's up? By the way, the 937's right. We messed up the snake trip. We did. One, two, three, three, two, one, one, two, three. That is the classic snake draft, but when you're only going three rounds, you reverse it in the first. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, what would a successful season look like? Michaelis and Dakota Hudson. Let's use the Cardinals history as our guide. We'll do so next on 101 ESPN. We're back to more exclusive blues talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Yesterday, we talked about what it would look like if the Cardinals did decide to add another starter to the mix and who would be preempted out of their spot in this rotation to make room for such a player. We use Zach Greinke as kind of the placeholder if they signed him to a one-year, $6 million contract. Who ends up losing their spot? And we all tend to agree the guy would probably be Dakota Hudson. Now let's do the reverse of that. They don't end up signing a starter this offseason, Alex. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If the Cardinals just run this back with the rotation they had a year ago, but this time there's health involved and Dakota Hudson stays healthy. Miles Michaelis stays healthy for those two guys in particular. What are your expectations this season? What makes a, what makes it a successful season? For those guys. Dakota Hudson's the interesting one, so I'll go to him second. But a successful season for Miles Michaelis, 
I'm not going to look at 2018 because I think that is too far-fetched for him to accomplish because, I mean, that was that was incredible. I'm looking at 2019. 2019 might look at it as a bad year, so maybe a step below that, but I think it's right on par for a 416 ERA for Miles Michaelis. I think he normally would be somebody who's in the high threes, low fours as an ERA guy. I think he is a prototypical 4-5 starter for you in a rotation. So that's what I'm looking for as a successful season for Miles, but I'm looking at 30 starts. I, I got to see him for an entire season. For Dakota Hudson, I think he is ready to be a number two starter. Will he get there this year? I don't know. So for me to say, you know what, that was a successful year for Dakota, one, I want to see him healthy the entire season. Two, if you're able to give me somewhere between 15 and 20 starts this year, I'm going to mark that down as a success because I'm looking at him as a 32 starter next season. That's about where my expectations are, I think, for both. For Michaelis, it's going to be close to that 2019 form. Give me the 30, 32 starts. See if you can cover about 170 to 180 innings for me. Just be kind of an innings eater for me. I don't care if you're – I want you to be somewhat effective, but if he has a higher ERA than we're expecting and it's like 4-5, if he's going to eat innings for me, that's perfectly fine because to me he is the number – four slash five starter Hudson is the curious case coming off of Tommy John heading into the year or after the postseason I should say I was expecting him to be back to normal workload sounds like the Cardinals want to be more cautious with him so I'm kind of with Alex around that 15 20 start range try and cover about 120 innings for me is maybe my hope so uh, that's probably my expectation and then it's going to come down to the guys that fill out the rest of his starts I mean that's crazy we're all on board we we basically have the same expectations for these two players if you get 170 innings out of uh, Miles Michaelis this season and they're reasonably productive around a four ERA I think you've got to be thrilled. I think that's exactly what you expect out of him. That Forget the contract. Set that aside for a minute because it's a sunk cost and it doesn't matter anymore, unfortunately. I, all you need him to be is just an innings eater as a number four starter. Your, your upside is coming from your top three. He's got to be somebody that's consistent out there. And I do agree with you guys on what you should expect and hope for from Dakota Hudson as well. If you're looking at the ERA, I think you're hoping for better than what you're getting out of Miles Michaelis. If you're looking at the innings, though, I think around 120 is probably the target for him. So I went back and looked up this morning what the Cardinals got out of their number four and number five starters from 2011 to 2015. Because that's when the Cardinals had a, I would say it's fair to say they had a really deep rotation and a really strong rotation. They were right up there with the best in the league when it came to their ERA. 2015, they had the best ERA in the National League. So 2011 to 2013, your number four starter was Jake Westbrook. And in those seasons, he had 183, 174, and 120 innings pitched as your number four starter. In those three seasons, he was right between a four and a four-five ERA. So basically, you smash that together, you're talking about 170-ish innings and a four-two, four-three ERA. That's about what I'm hoping for from uh, Miles Michaelis this year. You look to what they got in 2014 out of their number four starter. It was Miles. Uh, My- uh, Michael Walker, excuse me, 110 innings that year. So you got many, many fewer innings, but a 3-2 ERA. He was so, brought up late too that year. Yep, they, they pieced it together at the back end in 2014 with some young guys uh, and then eventually trading for John Lackey as well. And in 2015, your number four starter was Lance Lynn, who threw 175 innings with a really strong three ERA. So I don't think you can expect that realistically out of your number four starter. The number five starters those seasons. 
2011, it was Kyle McClellan who threw 140 innings with a 4-2 ERA. 2012 through 2014, Jaime Garcia played into this, and he was right around 120 innings in 2012 and 2013 with around a 3-5 ERA. So maybe that's what you're looking for from Dakota Hudson this year. The comp for him might be Jaime Garcia, and then you look at what he was in 2015 again, a 130-inning season with a 2.4 ERA. So, again, really strong performance by Garcia. He just couldn't stay healthy, which was the name of the game for him. I think the one comp that I really like that, for some reason, I never really thought of is Jake Westbrook. Like, Jake Westbrook, for me, is ideally what Miles Michaelis should be for the Cardinals moving forward. In 2012 was his best year with St. Louis. I mean, he had, what was it? It was 28 starts, a 3.97 ERA with 174 innings pitched. That is what you want from Miles Michaelis this year. If you, if I were to bottle up and you said press a button to get exactly what you need from Miles, that is exactly what you need from Miles. Longevity, health, and a decent ERA for this rotation. Yeah, and, and Westbrook, correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of a sinker baller pitch to contact. Yep. And his numbers, I don't remember, when did the defense kind of start to fall off? Was that more of 2015, 2016? Yeah, yeah. I was to say, because 2012, he had post-World Series. He still had a good good defense behind so him. So, yeah, I think these are the perfect, kind of the right numbers. I think Michaelis can strike out a little bit more guys than what Jake Westbrook can, and he's probably more of a fly ball pitcher than what Westbrook was. But, yeah, I'm with you, Ox. I mean, if I could just press a button and I get that those numbers from a pitcher kind of like that repertoire, then, yeah, I would take that. I'm very curious to see, though, how they want to handle Dakota Hudson because – we say 120 innings. I mean, that probably should have ultimately been the goal for an Alex Reyes last year, and it wasn't. Instead, they kind of were more hesitant, and they made the goal 100. I don't think they'll make that. I brought this up yesterday. I hope they don't make the same mistake and do that for Dakota Hudson. I don't think they will, but I'm curious to know if, you know, is there going to be a innings limit on him? Will they just shut him down if he gets to an innings limit? Is that going to factor into decision decision? decision making early in the year I, I don't know I hope there's no innings limit on him and they just play it by ear but a lot of teams will put those on a pitcher coming off of Tommy John I think your hope for Dakota Hudson this year is that he could be something similar to what Jaime Garcia was in 2012 20 starts that season with 122 innings and he gave you a 3.9 ERA if he can be something similar to that, maybe with slightly better results, maybe he's closer to a, a Jaime was more often than not around a three, five. If he can give you that in 120 innings, I think that's exactly what you're hoping for this year. Consistent six innings, strong innings out of your number five starter. You could have him parlay with uh, probably Woodford and maybe you see a little bit of Oviedo or Liberator later in the season as well. And you feel pretty good about where they're at. So I, I think we're all kind of on the same page here. You get 170 innings out of Michaelis with a round of four ERA. You get 120 or so innings with a sub four ERA out of Dakota Hudson. I think that's what looks. That's what makes it a successful season at the back end of your rotation next year. Now the problem is, if that is what you get at the back end, you're going to need some upside performances out of the front end of your rotation. You're yeah. going to need Jack Flaherty to perform like he did when he was a potential Cy Young candidate early last year, and then at the end of the what 20, 2019 season. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need Adam Wainwright to do a, maybe not an exact replica of what he was a year ago, but pretty darn close. You you need him to be a really good starter for you next year as well. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be the biggest thing. And 
that probably is the bigger concern. I mean, everyone has concerns on Hudson and Michaelis, but the bigger concern is can Matt Tueno and Flaherty give you what you need to get you over the hump? Because that's the upside. The, yep. Those guys at the back end of your rotation, you're you're hoping for them to fill innings out for you, but the upside comes from really Wayno and Flaherty. Th- those two guys got to step up in a big, big way. And, and not only the upside for me, too, is there can't be a big fall-off between the guy that's 6-7 spot who are going to be those spot starters. To me, that was – I mean, we – if you have the injuries like you had last year, you're probably screwed no matter what. But even if they're going to say, like, if we're going with this example, we're talking about, what, 10 starts and probably more than that because of injury, 10 to 25 starts for your six, seven, eight guys in your kind of rotation probably depth. Probably around 25 starts combined for those guys, yeah. I can't have a massive fall off like we did last year. I think Woodford's ready to be that guy that can make those spot starts. Then you've got Libertor, who I think is going to be a stud for the Cardinals. So, I don't think there's going to be that massive drop-off, but there can't be what you had this year where, I mean, you had John Gant, Daniel Ponce de Leon making starts for you, and it just did not pan out. I mean, you weren't getting any production from those guys that were your depth starters. You got one one like little spot start where you went, oh, okay, yeah, and that's when we'd buy into like a Johan Oviedo. That can't happen this year. Those guys have to be better for the Cardinals if they're going to have the success. Not only just those top guys, but those bottom depth guys have to be really good as well. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we're getting back to our role-playing opportunity coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today, my So, man? boys, we're ending the year 2021, and, of course, it hasn't been the kindest to everyone with the pandemic still around, but I thought it'd be fun to go back and look at what some of the most popular things were in 2021. So I did a little research, and I figure I'm going to throw these topics at you, and we can reminisce a little bit here. On the top 10 most researched things on google most search most search on 2021 you ready for this let's do it number 10 the squid game oh yeah Did, i actually loved it i, I loved never game. saw it i haven't seen it yet either. i still have not seen that yet i know a lot of people were critical of the ending and it was somewhat predictable but i actually enjoyed it and i won't spoil it for anybody but i, I think it's worth watching i will say this if you struggle with blood and violence in TV shows, it is not for you. There is a that's, uh, ton yeah. of blood and violence. But and every time I've tried to watch it, my wife is around and she can't handle that. So that's why we haven't watched it. Yeah, and it. If you are somebody that knows uh, Korean, like it's probably not for you either because you're going to struggle with the uh, subtitles. This, I struggle with even, subtitles. Yeah, well, I watched it with the dubbed audio over it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was good, but apparently the translation isn't perfect. No, so if good. you know the language that they're actually speaking, I do think it could be a little bit of an issue. But I thought it was good. I thought it was good show nonetheless. So another movie on this list, number nine, Spider-Man. Now, I don't know how many people are in on this Spider-Man, but every I haven't seen this yet. And I think, T-Bone, you saw this, so don't give anybody any spoilers. It's really but good. Everyone's saying that this is probably one of the best movies Marvel has put together. It was the highest grossing film in like two years. It's, it's, yeah. something like, it's like yeah. 400 million or something in the first like two days that it was in theaters. Yeah. That's I, pretty I, impressive. I will say this because I, a lot of people have said it's the best Marvel movie ever. And it, some have put it ahead of uh, either, I can't remember if it's Endgame or Infinity War. I, I would say it's top five. I don't know if it would surpass the 
the two big Avenger movies, Infinity War and Endgame, though. So number eight on this list is Stimulus Check. And I think that is hilarious because imagine how many people, and I'm one of those people because I got the first stimulus check, and then the next three that they handed out, I didn't receive. And I was one of these I'm people. I'm ready for, for the next round. Yeah, man. seriously. When did we get that Take one? some hit of those, the, actually. Does one hit the bank account and uh, hit the direct deposit in January? Hey, that, could, that would be real I'm nice. I'm just happy right they postponed the, uh, the student loans back yeah, off again. Lying. But I was one of these people on Google that was Googling every, like, month. Did I did I apply for the stimulus check? Did I Do I get the stimulus check? What's going on here? So that makes sense that that's on this one. Uh, AMC Stock. Didn't it skyrocket there for a while? Well, it plummeted. Like, they thought AMC was going bankrupt, or it might have gone bankrupt, didn't it? Are we talking and about the network? No, no, no. I This is the, the movie theater. The movie theater. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't think it went bankrupt, though. This is interesting, though, because I drove no, past... No, AMC stock skyrocketed. Did it? Shoot. Yeah, and then it I fell back down, right? they were talking about going bankrupt. It went from $12 a share up to $62 per share randomly. And it, I don't remember what this... I, I cannot Who remember. I'm illiterate when it comes to financial news, but... Who would have thought that? But anyway, I drove past an AMC the other day. It was jam-packed. So maybe the movie theaters are starting to come back. I still have not gone to a movie theater. Since really? the pandemic started. Really? They have not gone seen one movie in a movie theater. I've seen a couple. Since the pandemic started. What's number six? So number six on this one is Mega Millions. I don't did did somebody win the, the lottery? Me- did somebody win it that like was a historic amount of money? I don't know why this is on here. I'm assuming people were just playing the lottery more often. I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't you be? I guess when you're going out to the gas station, you're Power picking a Mega up Millions. Seven hundred and four million dollars right now, by I the way, boys. That. So number five is Brian Laundry. We always we all know that story. That number three actually is Gabby Petito. Those two, uh, that is going to be a made-for-TV movie at some point with everything that took yeah. place on that one. Kyle Rittenhouse was number four. We all know what took place there. All right, number two and number one. I was really surprised by these. What do you think they are? So I the most have- searched things on Google in 2021, what do you think one and two were, and it's not COVID-related? I'm actually very surprised that none of these are COVID-related. Yeah. Other than stimulus check, I guess, technically. Yeah, this is this is from the Search Engine Journal. Top hmm. 10 trending searches in 2021. I'm not even sure if I know something to guess on this. I'll give, I- you, I'll give you a hint. Number two is a death. And number one, I have no idea how this is at the top of the list. Number two is yeah. Think of the people that passed away in 2021. Was is it a sports figure or no? No, it's a music artist. That didn't help me at all. DMX, real. I was amazed that DMX was the number two top ten trended searches. But you know what? His music skyrocketed when he passed away. Well, like all artists usually do when they pass away, their music is all purchased, but you go back and listen to it. But, I mean, his was like historic numbers when he passed away. Number one on this list, and I'm assuming this is because it's what started kind of the lockdown, but the NBA. Why would that be number one in 2021? Just NBA? Just NBA. Uh, I'm assuming... Because, like, they, they they were the ones that started to shut down in 2020. Yeah. I'm not sure why NBA would be number one. <laughs> that, that confused yeah. the hell out of me. I'm trying to understand why that would be the case because, like, 2020, I know there was the, the racial demonstrations and then there was a lot yeah. that was tied in with the NBA. So but maybe I was thinking politically that would make sense. I, 
I don't know why that would be the case a, in, in A couple of other fun ones real quick. Somebody uh, mentioned the DMX documentary on HBO probably helps that, that all. That that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, a couple of other really fun ones before we go to break. There, there was trends of how to be, how to style, those kind of searches. How to be more attractive. How to be a baddie. I don't know what that is. More attractive. How to be a good boyfriend. How to style straight leg dreams. Yeah, that must be. Google that one. T-Bane. Uh, how to style yet. straight leg jeans, how to style a wolf haircut, and how to style a corset. Can I honestly say I don't know if I looked up any of those. Well, I would hope you yeah, didn't I look would, up how a lot to style of those, a corset. Or how to style straight <laughs> jeans. Well, I, I mean, a lot of people wear straight jeans. I wear that. Slim cut, man. It's the way to go. Yeah, it's all the same. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we are going to play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Someone said old man Tanner with an American movie classic station <laughs> shout out. Wait, what did I shout out? <laughs> yeah, the AMC TV, station, uh, TV oh. channel. <laughs> By the way, from the 314, none of you guys followed the GameStop and AMC stock blow up earlier this year. I forgot that AMC was a part of that. I remember the GameStop I remember the GameStop one, I forgot yeah. about the AMC part of it. Yeah. So, yes, that's, uh, it was the shorting uh, of the stocks that if took place only there. now I could turn back time. Oh, I knew what he was going there, too. Wasn't it great? We're going to role play next on 101 Ooh. ESPN. Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. In 10 minutes, we are getting to one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. I also appreciate from the 636, the guys that, uh, the guy that is lecturing us on our student loan debt. Sir, I apologize. I do indeed have student loan debt. <laughs> yeah, he told us we got tricked into it. Look, it was either that or no college. It's another conversation for another day, but thank you, sir, for listening to the show. And if you want to pay it off for us. Let's do it. In 10 minutes, if you give us four options, we will tell you which one's got to go. But right now, uh, guys, yesterday we had so much fun with role play. Yeah, we did. We got to do it oh. one more time. Oh, that that role play. Oh, sorry. So today, what I would like oh, to girl. do is we will play the role <laughs> of a St. Louis sports figure. It could be an athlete. It could be somebody that's in a front office. It could be an owner, whoever you want it to be, somebody that is significant in St. Louis sports. And let's say their New Year's resolution or what we would like their New Year's resolution. Alex, I'll get to you in just a second. Oh, But Tanner, what do you have for us in your New Year's resolutions for a St. Louis sports figure? So I'm going to go with Mo. And I, I, I think no Michael the, Gersh, no Michael Gersh. I don't know what his New Year's resolution would be, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but for Mo, his New Year's resolution is going to be uh, not being so hesitant to pull the trigger, to pull the trigger on things. He's going to be a little bit he's going to have to become a little bit more aggressive, whether that's in the free agent market when it opens back up the trade market or at the deadline. Or if, you know, blank hits the fan or in June, and you got to make a move at the, before the deadline comes. A little bit of aggressiveness is going to have to kind of seep into most repertoire this year if this is going to be a contending team. We're beginning a championship window. 
Well, you can't be afraid to ask the pretty girl on a dance. So you got to be more aggressive this year. You got to go for it. I like that one. I like it. Mo needs to get a little bit more loose with his trade phone calls. I like it for, specifically at the trade deadline. I, I think Mo has done a a better job over the last few years of being aggressive in the offseason. Like you look at some of the big moves that he's made. You go back to the Marcelo Zuna uh, offseason and then basically since then. Adding Marcelo Zuna, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado in any three out of, what, five years now in the offseason, that's – those are some big-time moves that take cojones to make. And I'll, I will give credit to John Mosellock for doing so. I wish he would have done more in the offseason last year. Um, sometimes I do think he falls into the trap of making one big move and then just staying back and holding all of the rest of his chips for the deadline. But the problem is he holds his chips for the deadline and then doesn't cash them in at the deadline. That is the thing that I would like to see him be more aggressive with. I, I do think really the entire time for the most part that he's been here, he has been very hesitant to make that in-season move for a big-time player that will help them down the stretch. That is something that I would like to see him do uh, to a much greater degree this year. So mine's going to be on the blue side of things. Surprise, surprise. Um, And I'm going to take the role of Doug Armstrong here. And I'm going to come up with my New Year's resolution that Vladdy Tarasenko continues this pace and continues to buy in. And here's why. Because... I think he's still going to want out, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to change his mind, nor is this team going to be able to change his mind. But if he continues to tear through the NHL like this, if he continues to prove that he is a top player in the National Hockey League, then my team is going to improve in 2022. Because not only is he going to help me win a Stanley Cup this year by the way that he is playing, but he is also going to help that window stay wide open in the next five years under my regime because the trade that I'm going to be able to pull off in the offseason is going to be massive because if I have a point-per-game player that is performing at this level, wins another Stanley Cup, and says that he still wants to be traded, well, guess what? My 2022 is going to be incredible. So as Doug Armstrong, my resolution is, Vladdy, just keep doing yourself because you're going to help me win a Stanley Cup and you're going to help me look like a genius with another trade. I like it. Um, I, I just think that's my expectation, though. I don't even know if we need a New Year's resolution for Vladimir Tarasenko. At this point, like, this is no longer a small sample size. We're approaching halfway through the 2021-22 regular season and Vladimir Tarasenko right now is a point-per-game producer. I heard JR talking about it earlier today. Maybe what's most impressive is not the goal production, although that is a little surprising given what his injury status has been in recent years. What's most impressive is the assists to me. That's why I'm hoping the buy-in's there, and that's why it's a resolution, because he's awesome offensively right now, but I want that to continue. When guys come back and guys start playing more and they get more ice time and his ice time decreases a little bit, I need everyone to buy in. I want that to stay for a full 82-game schedule. I don't want it to drop off. He is projected this season to have 49 assists. Do you know what his career high was in assists prior to this season, Alex, if you're not looking at it right now? His career high in assists. This year he is on pace for 49. Um, I what say, is his previous I want to say high? it's probably 32, 35, somewhere uh, in the 30s. I wasn't even thinking he got to 30. I see it was like 28. No, he... 
He's, he's been the in the 30s because he, I, his points have been pretty close that to the S- point per game. That past, STL line, he was really impactful. His career high was in 2015 and in 2017. Both seasons, he had 36 assists. Again, this year he already has 19 in 32 games, and he is on pace for 49 this season. The biggest difference with Vladimir Tarasenko is not that he's scoring goals. He's done that before. He's on pace for 33 this season. That wouldn't even be a career high. Uh, the biggest difference for him is what he's doing getting his teammates involved. I'll never forget Ken Hitchcock talking about Vladdy in the year that he nearly scored 40 goals or did score 40 goals. Hitch said that people will talk about Vladdy's shot, but people won't talk about how good of a passer Vladdy is. He said Vladdy's probably one of the better passers in the National Hockey League that people just don't recognize. That is a good one for Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, Mine, I am going to go back to the St. Louis Cardinals. And I am going to specifically go to their new manager. My New Year's resolution is for Ali Marmol. And my New Year's resolution is to follow through with everything that I promised in all of my press conferences and immediate aftermath and media availability uh, after being hired as the manager of the Cardinals. Ali Marmol has stated that he is going to be uh, more creative with his use of the pitching staff. He is going to make sure that he doesn't have a stagnant lineup where if certain a certain player gives you a better chance as your leadoff hitter against right-handed pitchers, that doesn't necessarily mean he ha- also has to bat leadoff against left-handed pitching. Ali Marmol so far has said all of the right things that should maximize the talent for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2022. My New Year's resolution for him, being Ali Marmol myself and role-playing that role, my New Year's resolution is to follow through on all of the promises, all of the things that I said in my introductory press conferences and soon thereafter media availability. I like that one. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, though, if, if everything's going to follow through, it's World Series or bust for Ali Marmol. And I, for the Cardinals. That's fair. I, I think the pressure, as we've talked about after that hiring, is on John Mosellock more so than it will be immediately on Ali Marmol because he needs to have the talent available at his disposal. But there's Would you argue the talent's already there? To be a World Series or bust season? No. To be a you-better-make-the-playoffs this year and hopefully get to the NLCS? Yeah, I I think that's there. But I I think they would have to make another significant move. If they added a shortstop, it's World Series or bust. If they went out there and added Max Scherzer instead of Steven Matz, World Series or bust. Given the moves that they've made this offseason, really the move, I don't think that you're there yet. I think 2023 will be the season where you're hopefully at World I Series. I like this Boston. one from the 573. If I could uh, have one St. Louis New Year's resolution, it would be for Doug Armstrong to teach Mo how to get valuable players and evaluate talent for the team. See, I think that's unfair. I really do. I, I think I think John Mosellock has done a better job than people are willing to give him credit for because he hasn't won the big one in a decade. I think that's that's the biggest difference. Like Doug Armstrong's won one uh, in, in St. Louis, so has Mo. Y- you know, it, it's it's just been longer for John Mosellock and uh, Mo only won it because it was Walt Jockety's team. Okay, well, it, 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 four years after he took you over. No, we brought, we brought up in mind too. You know, you would like to see Mo get aggressive at the trade deadline. That year, he was aggressive. That was the year yep. he made the holiday. Well, that no, was it wasn't previously, Priest. but it was the bullpen the, that they yeah, made. Oh, Jackson, that's right. you get Jackson as a starter. You get Dotel. You get, I believe, Arthur Rhodes was acquired in the trade. I think there was another piece in that in that trade deadline too that I'm forgetting about. Maybe but that's what maybe that's what you need to look at the trickle down effect. Like what happened? Because look, the holiday trade, the bullpen help. Like 
He was very aggressive, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. But it's are you talking about at the trade deadline specifically? Yeah. Okay, yeah, th- that, I, that I think is fair. I, I do think his trade deadline this year kind of resembled what it was in 2011. It wasn't all that dissimilar. He, he didn't add stars in that one. Um, he just added pieces that ended up uh, completely changing over the bullpen. Was it Zipchinski? Zip- was that That's the other the one, one was that they added at the deadline Didn't he go out there and get Rafael for a call, too? But again, that's not a that's not a superstar. I mean, it's not, but I mean, it's a piece that helps. I think the thing that really sells you on that 2011 deal is he parted with one of the Cardinals. I think he was either a top prospect, still technically, or a guy that was viewed highly in the organization. And that was Colby Rasmus, who didn't end up amounting to much. Remember, he was kind of that big name for the Cardinals in that. Yeah, outfield. but he had already performed for a couple of years with the team and showed that he wasn't really that guy that they thought he was. And, and who they trade him for that season? Wasn't that Zipchinski? That that was part. He was a part of the Dotel deal, or no, the, the Jackson deal. deal, Jackson deal, because he went uh, to Toronto and Jackson sense. was in Toronto. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I don't think that some of the deals that he's made recently are are all that dissimilar from some of the ones that they made in 2011. Now the Matt Holiday deal, totally different. But I would say that the comp comp for that is just the stuff that he's done in the off season now. Arnado. But again, that was trade deadline. That was saying, hey, this team needs needs a fix. But that was a long term fix. He, he he traded for him, saying we want to bring him in here to St. Louis, and then eventually we're going to be able to uh, sign him long-term. So I I would say that's more similar to, like, uh, probably the closest comp would be what they ended up doing with Paul Goldschmidt. But uh, I I think he's been aggressive, just not in season, and I do hope that they continue to do that moving forward. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you give us four options, we will tell you which one's got to go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I am Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, let's start with this one. One got to go party holidays. New Year's Eve, St. Patrick's Day, the 4th of July, or Mardi Gras. Which one's got to go? Oh, man, this is a mix between St. Patty's Day and Mardi Gras. Um... I think I'm going to get rid of St. Paddy's Day. Mostly because it's always freezing when St. Paddy's Day is going on. So is Mardi Gras, but... And I've never gotten into the, I don't know, Irish celebration. Hence, you know, the nice sweater that I'm the wearing Italian right now. Italian sweater you're wearing. Yeah, today. New Year's Eve, I think, is is the goat to this. But I do like a, a July 4, or 4th of July celebration. So it comes down to Mardi Gras and St. Paddy's Day, and I think I'm going to keep Mardi Gras, and I'll get rid of St. Paddy's Day. That's where I'm going, too. I think i got to get rid of St. Paddy's Day. Mardi Gras is pretty big here in St. Louis, and they, they throw a heck of a party for it. So I think I'm going to get rid of St. Paddy's Day. If I was up in Chicago, then maybe I would take that, but not, not here. Yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and sweep this one. I'm not... I've got a little bit of Irish in me. The funny thing is my last name's Irish, and it's like the least amount of... Uh, uh, culture that I have in me. I got a lot more Italian. So we are going to go with more, uh, St. Paddy's Day as well. You guys know 4th of July is my favorite holiday. I enjoy New Year's Eve when it's not in a huge crowd. And Mardi Gras is a good time. So I will go with St. Patrick's Day is the one that's got to go. One's got to go New Year's Eve drink edition. Beer, champagne, mixed drinks with liquor, or wine. Oh, this is simple. 
champagne. This is the nastiest drink out of all of these. It it tastes like soap water. That's what it tastes like. You Maybe don't even I like champagne on New Year's Eve. Nope. I don't even know if I've ever had champagne. Never actually. liked champagne. Never will like a champagne. Bit of bubbly. They gave you just us never had the good stuff. I, maybe they gave us champagne on our on our uh, party bus for after our wedding when we were going to take pictures. I took one sip and I did a spit take. I'm like, really? this is disgusting. Yeah. So champagne is out. It's disgusting. Hey, there's a reason they use it for the celebrations and spray it around and not drink it. I guess so. Yeah. I guess it burns. I'll be. I actually am going to get rid of wine because I want to try champagne. I, the last couple of wines I've had, like Thanksgiving and Christmas, were not that great. So I'll get rid of wine in this one. You just haven't haven't had good wine, man. You haven't had I, good champagne, man. That is one hundred percent true. Alex doesn't know it, but that is one hundred percent true. Um, I am going to go with wine on this one as well. I'm just not much of a wine drinker. I wish I was, and specifically for New Year's Eve. I, I will not be drinking any wine. I will have champagne. I will have beer. I will definitely have some whiskey tonight. Dude, that's too much, man. (laughs) I'm not having any wine, though. Damn. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X Live for One's Gotta Go. This might be our last one, depending on timing here. AFC quarterbacks, One's Gotta Go. Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, or Joe Burrow? Which one's gotta go? I need no explanation on this. Justin Herbert's gotta go. What were my choices again? Burrow, oh, Herbert, God. Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, or Burrow? Which ones got to go? Oh, I, I guess I'll get rid of Herbert, too. The other three I've seen more of from this year, Justin Herbert, I'll just move on from if I have those four. See you, Josh Allen. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. You like, you, like elite, you dislike elite quarterbacks, then don't you? Josh Allen has proven enough to me to know that he is not a guy that I can trust when it comes to the postseason. I feel like there's at least a ceiling there with Herbert and Burrow to do so, and we all know that I ain't getting rid of Patrick Mahomes, the best in the world in this one. Uh, so doubtful. I will go with Josh Allen is the one that's got to go. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We wish you and yours a very happy new year. Thank you guys so much for making us a part of your days here throughout the 2021 calendar year. We hope you make the same choice in 2022. We'll talk to you guys next week here on 101 ESPN. Kind of focused on golf, you know, golfing. Just trying to tee it high and let it fly right now, boys.